Welcome to the Mile High Flight Show, where a Jets fan and a Broncos fan get together to talk about the NFL and the world of sports. I'm your host, Ryan Marinholtz, joined as always by my wonderful co-host, Enrique Cisneros, and let's jump right into this. How are you doing today, Enrique? I'm doing good, bro. How are you? I'm doing great, man, and as always, really excited to jump right into all this. So, of course, we can start off with our weekly questions here. Uh, first one, which Jets running back will lead the team in yards uh, or touchdowns this year? I'll see what you think, Enrique. Um, well, I have to be a little – I have to be fair to both running backs um, just because I, I really do think that Michael Carter uh, was a very, very good running back when he was on the field for us last year. I uh, did get hurt some games, and so he wasn't you know as productive as he could have been just because he missed some time. Um, but I do think Brees Hall coming out of um, – college this year is probably going to get the best opportunity uh, just because I think the Jets wouldn't have taken him so high um, if they didn't plan on, you know, almost making him the lead back uh, initially. So I would imagine that, yeah, Brees Hall is going to um, more than likely end up leading uh, in all the rushing categories for the Jets this year. But, you know, I think that Michael Carter is going to compliment him very well. And I'm really excited to see uh, to see them both back there. So I can't yeah. wait. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more from an outside perspective. Like, uh, you know, in their 2021 stats, too, we look at those real quick. Brees Hall in college, uh, 1,472 yards and 20 touchdowns and then 5.8 yards per carry. Obviously, you know, those numbers are pumped up a little bit by going against college defenses. So he likely won't have that, at least in his first year uh, in the NFL as he gets adjusted. But those are some nice-ass stats, bro. Um, and watching the film, he's a really exciting player. And then I think, to your point, what you said about uh, Brees Hall being complimentary or Michael Carter being complimentary to Brees Hall, I think it goes both ways. You know what I mean? Because I think Michael Carter, being a little bit of a smaller guy, uh, is probably going to be better – suited for like situational carries and that type of thing or like splitting out uh to get some passes and things like that um and so i think that with if you give Brees hall the main job right and he may end up getting more stats because of that uh but at the end of the day i think michael carter will almost be more effective as the second running back situational back you know third down passing back type of thing um and then just you know obviously sprinkles and carries in there and make it closer to even, but I think they're definitely both going to eat. Um, and I, I do agree with you. I think it's going to be Bruce Hall and uh, our poll on Instagram, as well as Twitter. Uh, they agreed with us as well, picking Bruce Hall. So everybody pretty excited to see him for sure. And then our second question here. Uh, so we're doing our breakdowns for the AFC East, finishing them off this week. And so we wanted to ask, which team do we think we're gonna uh, will win the division? And uh, you know, obviously Enrique, you're a Jets fan, you know, but I will hand it off to you and see what you think here. Yeah, I mean, I by blood, I have to say that the Jets are gonna win the division. Like, I can't answer it any other way. <laughs> initially, I have to say that, right? Um, but you know. And, and I say this with a big but because, I mean, the Bills are really, really good. And they're a Super Bowl contender team. Um, so, yeah, I would imagine that more than likely scenario is going to be that the Buffalo Bills win the division. 
Um, but you know, yeah, I think it's it's and it's really just comes down to quarterback play uh, for me. It's just unfortunately Zach Wilson's not at Josh Allen's level quite yet, um, and neither is Tua Tagovailoa. So, and Mac Jones is never ever going to get there. So we don't ever have to worry about that. Um, but yeah, Josh Allen just really is miles above everyone else right now. Uh, he's you know one or two top quarterbacks in the league like between him and pat mahomes you know so yeah i I think it all firmly rests on his shoulders but i would imagine that the bills are probably going to take the division yeah i I, I can agree right yeah i can agree it's weird to talk about oh go ahead no i was just going to say because the patriots just ran that division for so long and now it's like the bills division now you know just like oh okay right yeah no exactly and I, i was about to say like to that point pretty much is it's weird to think about the bills as the, uh, I don't want to say owners, but like the expected winner of the division uh, because for so many years they weren't, you know what I mean? And the Patriots were just that unquestioned top spot, unfortunately, except for when the Jets, you know, made some Mark Sanchez runs and uh, things like that. So, but with that said, and we talked a little, a little bit about this off air. And then to your point of what you were saying about Josh Allen is like, I think Josh Allen really is the differentiator in that division because if you don't have that superstar quarterback over in Buffalo, looking at the rosters of all four of these teams, and obviously we'll go into the uh, Dolphins and Patriots later today, you know, they're really solid rosters all across the board. And so I, it, it, like, I think the terms that we, we used when we were talking about it was uh, it really could be a wide open division if not for, uh, you know, Josh Allen up there in Buffalo. But with that said, fortunately, you don't have to be at the very top of the division to push for a playoff spot. So uh, for the rest of the division there, there's at least an opportunity. And if you play well enough, you could get three teams from the division in there. Um, So, yeah, we'll just have to see how that plays out. But, yeah, it's certainly exciting from the Jets' perspective, I would say, because, like, correct me if you feel wrong as a Jets fan, but I think this is, like, the first year in a while that you guys can – legitimately say there's a real tangible possibility to make the playoffs. Oh yeah, I'm for sure. I think that, and, and, you know, a captain on our defense, CJ Mosley had said it today. He like literally said he feels like it's playoff or bust with this, which is crazy. But um, I've been watching the jets flight 2022 or whatever it's called on YouTube. And um yeah, there's just so much excitement about this Jets team and the pieces that are here. Uh, not only like Zach Wilson and Garrett Wilson and, you know, Brees Hall and, you know, Michael Carter, the guys that we just talked about. But, you know, we got those two great big tight ends that we picked up in free agency, Tyler Conklin and um, CJ Uzama. And then we ended up getting Jeremy Rucker in um, the draft. You know, so I really feel like there's just vital positions uh, Lincoln Tomlinson as the guard uh, from the 49ers, which is a huge pickup. And, you know, you know, in those like those little montages that they get made up, uh, they just show all these guys highlights and mic'd up plays. And all these guys are just like really good, high character guys, just leaders. Uh, you know, they sh- showed a bunch of videos of CJ Uzama just leading on the Bengals and hyping them up and making plays during the playoff run. And, you know, that's that's a lot of these guys have played in playoff games. You know, Tyler uh, Conklin with the Vikings played in playoff games. And, 
you know, uh, obviously Uzama made it all the way to the Super Bowl, even though I don't believe he played in the Super Bowl because he was hurt. Um, it just there's just a lot of guys coming over that, you know, fit this team and fit the way that Robert Sala likes to run a team and the way Joe Douglas likes to run a team. And uh, I didn't even know Joe Douglas got three rings, bro. You know what I mean? So yeah, you got to understand that. Yeah, like. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know he was packing heat like that. So, you gotta understand that. Um, yeah, the Jets are just very, very hopeful. And you know, obviously, the Dolphins are so, so good. And obviously, you know, I'll break them down here in a minute. Um, but it's just, it's just very, very nice to be a Jets fan in this position because when we had those 2009, 2010 runs, there was like hope, but the roster was a little bit aged. You know what I mean? Like, you know. So there was only a few holdover guys that could c continue this like long playoff run of being a contender. And it sizzled out before we could like reestablish good guys on our defense and our offense again. But, um, and you know, uh, some of that's attributed to um, maybe Mark Sanchez not being, you know, a total, total superstar. Um, but anyways, um, this roster is going to be good for a really long time. And hopefully they're all going to grow together and they're all going to mesh together. And we're going to continue to add, you know, guys throughout the years to uh, hopefully, hopefully really push us to the playoffs. So I don't know if it'll be playoffs this year. Um, if we won seven, eight games, because we also have a pretty tough schedule, you know? So if we run, if we take seven, eight games, I would be ecstatic. I would be, if we won over three games, I would be, over the moon. So I'll take whatever I can get, but yeah, the roster looks really, really good this year. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be really exciting to see how that plays out. And I mean, most specifically for me to see what um, kind of prevent, oh my gosh, progression that uh, Zach Wilson can make this year, because I really do think that he's uh, close to making a breakout. You know what I mean? Uh, I think you see the good things from him. And I think that if, like, if you said that Zach Wilson could compete head-to-head -head with uh, Josh Allen for the division in a few years, I think a lot of people would kind of scoff at you. But I really genuinely do think when you look at the tools he has, when you look at the progression that he's made so far in his career, um, and, like, I think he has that potential. You know, you talk about certain guys where the things that they need to get better at to get that level – are not necessarily tangible. I think with Zach Wilson, the issues that he has are all coachable and fixable. And then on top of that, I think that we've seen that he himself in the NFL is coachable and he's already started to improve on some of those things. And then as we've talked about on the show, you know, throughout the uh, time we've been on it here, you know, this off season, a lot of the things that Zach Wilson have been doing, you expect to see from established veteran quarterbacks, you know, as far as like, calling all their guys out or in his case going around to where they're at and throwing with them and getting some work in uh building that chemistry you know what i mean starting to step up in the leadership categories i mean we talked about the division being led by josh allen because of that uh superstar talent i think that zach Wilson really has the potential uh to get there someday but we will just have to see um so with that uh we can go ahead and move on to our news section here so a uh, couple things. First, just wanted to mention with our new section that uh, from now on, we're going to be uh, adding a little bit more to the plate. Usually we focus just on the NFL, 
Um, but we did want to at least include some basketball in there when some big stories arise, particularly pertaining to our teams or just like really big stuff. We'll probably go over like some free agency stuff and that kind of uh, thing. But um, and then today we'll touch on some draft picks. Um, and then uh, we will also include some news for uh, the MMA and the UFC when stuff goes down there as well going forward. And then uh, secondly, so starting off our new section here today, unfortunately, we're going to begin with uh, two sad stories, two deaths, unfortunately. Uh, Ravens linebacker Jalen Ferguson passes away at only 26 years old. And I just, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's sad to see, you know, young death, uh, deaths just in general, but 26 years old, way, way too young. That's absolutely terrible. And then I, I believe I saw that he's leaving behind a wife and two children as well. Um, so obviously our condolences go out to the family and uh, just very sad news to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Condolences and prayers out to the family for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm 26 years old, you know, I'm, I'm turning 27 next month. And, um, you know, whenever there's a young death like that, you obviously think of yourselves and you think of, you know, kind of how scary life is sometimes. And um, yeah, you know, obviously just thoughts and prayers. There's just been a lot of very sad young deaths uh, in sports lately. And, um, you know, it's real unfortunate. Jalen Ferguson was a third round pick, I believe, you know, so it's um, it's super unfortunate. And obviously, you know, you being my friend and him being a Raven, you know, it's like personal, you know, in that way. So, um, yeah, just thoughts and prayers for sure. And, yeah, it's just really unfortunate. Absolutely. And then our second story here as well, unfortunately, also a Baltimore Raven, uh, Tony Siragusa a former nose tackle for the Baltimore Ravens and the Indianapolis Colts, as well as a Super Bowl champion, uh, passed away at the age of 55. And, you know, this is one of those ones, I think there's been a couple of these stories that we've covered on the show that, like like you said, there's a little bit of a personal aspect to it. And for me, obviously, uh, I've always had a soft spot for the Ravens. I really kind of became a fan of them when they drafted Lamar Jackson. Uh, but even as a kid, I had a soft spot between, you know, a, a few different things, but in particular, Tony Siragusa, and you think about that uh, 2001 hard knocks season for uh, anybody that's seen it, um, you know, he was basically like the biggest star in that and because he just has such an infectious personality. Uh, he's such a funny dude. Um, I think he's the type of guy that makes everybody else around him feel comfortable uh, just by being himself, you know what I mean? He just has that presence. Um, and so, yeah, for me watching that, that 2001 hard knocks, which I initially watched because Shannon Sharp, uh, the former Bronco, uh, was on it, you know, he, he sticks out in my mind, Tony Siragusa does. And he sticks out, uh, in my mind as, uh, one of those reasons of like things that got me really into football, um, and watching that hard knock season and, Obviously, you know, his play uh, on the field and off the field, a great person, a great player, uh, and very sad news to hear here. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very sad to hear. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen that particular season of Hard Knocks um, that you're talking about, but uh, I know about the Ravens from early on just because, yeah, once Shannon Sharp went there, my dad loves Shannon Sharp. 
Um, you know, obviously because my dad's a big Broncos fan. Um, and so, yeah, I did as much research as I can on those early Baltimore Ravens, um, like just highlights of just how dominant those defenses were, you know. So, you know, a guy like that to be able to win a, a championship and to be forever immortalized with those legendary defenses is is, uh, is really, really cool. So, yeah, thoughts and prayers to his family as well. And, um, yeah, just sad time for the Ravens, you know what I mean? And they're, uh, they're a team that's very – I, like deeply connected with their fans as well. Um, so I would imagine, you know, Ravens fans are, you know, deeply, uh, deeply saddened by the news of both these guys passing away and, you know, thoughts and prayers to the Ravens fans as well. Cause they had to see these guys and get used to these guys. And obviously, you know, one's a retired Raven, you know, and the other one is a, a, a was a current player with them. So it, it really is just very sad and tragic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is off topic. Um, and I, I suppose with that, we'll pretty much move on. But uh, I did want to mention, uh, as you brought up, like the Ravens being so connected to fans. Uh, it always reminds me when I hear that, it reminds me of, I know at least they were doing it up to last year. And I don't know if they're continuing to do it, but the end zones in the uh, in M&T Bank Stadium, where it says Baltimore on one side of it, they, for the last couple of years, uh, they had like a super fan who uh, was a kid that uh, unfortunately, I, I can't particularly remember the um, what he was afflicted with, uh, but I believe he was dealing with some sort of uh, disease that was uh, ended up being terminal. And he was a super fan of the Ravens and uh, the Ravens brought him out and he was, you know, became friends with a lot of players and was out there for training camp and went to the games and things like that. Um, and when he passed in the end zone that says Baltimore, they took the MO and colored it differently just for him. And they've had that for a few years now. And so it, it, that is immediately what comes to my uh, mind when I think about that, because it's like what other organization goes to that length to show true care. And, it, and the fact that on top of it that they didn't even do it for like a game, you know what I mean? Like it's been there for like, I think three years at this point. Um, and I don't know how long they're going to continue doing it, but I just think that speaks volumes to them as an organization. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree with you. The Actually, the minute uh, you started talking about it, I, I do remember uh, seeing that story. And um, yeah, I, I, I also think that when um, – they were doing the COVID games and fans weren't allowed. There was a whole cutout section where it was just pictures of that that same kid. So uh, yeah, yeah, the Ravens, the Ravens really are a stand-up organization, and you just can't. You like, how can you hate the Ravens? You know, like they're uh, they're a cool team logo. They have cool colors. They have black jerseys. Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Haloti uh, Nada. Like, how do you? They got Lamar Jackson now. Like how do you hate the Ravens? Um, you know, they love their fans. They take care of their fans. And you're right. It's, it hasn't been like a one game or like a patch type of thing. That's been years and years now. Um, so yeah, shout out to the Ravens. They just got to pay my boy though. It's true. It's true. That's how they show. They really care about their players is paying Lamar Jackson already. Exactly. So, yeah. so with that, we will go ahead and uh, move on here. 
Um, so our third story today, legendary tight end Rob Gronkowski retiring after 11 seasons. Uh, kind of a little footnote added to this one. Uh, even Rob's uh, own agent, I think it was Drew Rosenhaus. I might have that wrong. Um, but he came out on Twitter and said that he wouldn't even be surprised if Rob, like if, you know, Tom Brady just calls Rob during week four. And he's like, yeah, I think we're uh, going for another ring. You just want to come over real quick. And uh, he wouldn't be surprised if Rob was just like, yeah. So he is retired, but we'll see if that actually uh, sustains itself. People are almost wondering if he just like doesn't want to go to training camp, which is a very gronk thing to do. So, um, but if it is the end of his retirement, a very legendary career, I think you'd have to like directly compare the numbers and, and things to uh, determine if he's like the best tight end of all time, but I think he's in the conversation for sure. Um, so yeah, congratulations to him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. I appreciate you bringing up the fact that this could be like a to skip training camp type of thing. This is the same guy that recorded, you know, like, uh, a whole week's worth of like runs or sit-ups yes. or something. Yeah, like he did. A, he did a whole week of them in just different shirts <laughs> in one day and just sent different videos. Like that's that legendary. Much. It's legendary behavior, bro. It really is. Like that's all you can say about Rob Gronkowski. He, him, and I know, you know, that uh, the man is controversial. But when him and Aaron Hernandez were both playing together, it was even as a Jets fan, kind of cool to see those uh, those two tight ends just really dominate. Um, yeah. And they were both very different types of players and um, different types of men, obviously, Jesus. But, uh, <laughs> like, uh, um, dude, there was a hilarious meme that I saw about Aaron Hernandez, and it was so funny. It was, like, this old Titans player, and he's uh, he posted a picture of him and Aaron Hernandez, and it was, like, throwback when – I told uh, a killer that he can come see me whenever. And he said he would kill me. I, I, well, little did I know, dude, I was dying Damn. when I saw it. That's dude, crazy. it was so funny. And like, he like ripped off Aaron Hernandez helmet and everything. It was, it was, it was nuts. Um, anyways. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Rob Gronkowski. I would not be surprised if Tom gave him a call and said like, Hey, it's all right. We can, we can come out now. Cause I mean, it's just a Gronk thing. But, yeah, I don't – if I'm being honest with you, I would say, like, maybe some of his receiving yards would be a little low, um, especially, like, because he, he had a lot of injuries, you know what I mean? But yeah. I would say, like, touchdowns and then the rings really have to, like, count for something, right? Like, the rings really have to count for something. I would say – how would you say impactful-wise he was – to the Buccaneers getting their ring. I would say like during the playoffs, it was pretty clutchmatic, but I wouldn't say like during the season, he was a real difference maker. Do you, do you agree? Disagree with that? I, yeah, I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly to be honest with you. Cause I think that like you could really see the Brady to Gronk connection shine in the playoffs when it mattered the most. Um, but I do think that during the regular season, he, he was kind of just at that point where he's like, almost saving his body. Um, and you saw that entire time that he was in uh, Tampa Bay, like he really didn't do a whole lot of blocking, 
which he did in uh, the early part of his career, which again, probably to save his body. And it's like, you can't blame him, especially after the fact that he retired because of injuries. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things you, like you kind of wish we could see the career of Rob Gronkowski without the injuries. Um, but it's almost a, if you really look at it, his injuries are almost a credit to how dominant he was because the reason he got injured so often was because people had to go for his legs and had to go for his knees and his ankles to get him down. Because if you go watch a highlight type or highlight tape of uh, Rob Gronkowski, he's dragging dudes like 10 plus yards for a touchdown. Like he never gave up on he's dragging dudes. Like, unironically, I'm not even kidding. Like he, he was such a, and he still is at times, but he's clearly learned how to turn that off and save him, uh, himself some trouble. Um, but he's such a dynamic, hard-working player, hard-fighting player. Um, well, I say hard-working as we just talked about him faking. How uh, lazy runs. he is. But, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, it's just – it's one of those things where, like, I think that's our, uh, part of his argument for potentially being in that conversation for best tight end of all time. Because I don't think if you go look at his numbers that they necessarily stack up to like a Tony Gonzalez um, because of the longevity of his career and the, the uh, you know, level of play that he sustained throughout his career, uh, or even like a Shannon Sharp, you know what I mean? And like way earlier in the day too. Um, but when you look at why he was out of the game uh, so much and how dominant he was when he was on the field, I think he has a conversation there for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree with your, your sentiment specifically about Tampa Bay and, uh, he definitely changed his game coming over there. Uh, I assume to save himself a little bit, which, you know, from a fan's perspective, the more that he can be out on the field, the better. Um, and I'm glad that we got to see him the last couple of years rather than him just having retired and stayed retired. Um, but you know, if this is it, then, you know, we're happy to have seen it. If it's not, then uh, I guess we'll see if Tom and Grunt can go grab another ring. Right. Hey, quick question for you. Um, do you think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer if he stays retired? Yes. No question. Like, absolutely. Like, just five years, no question about it? No question. I Like, right. what? So he was drafted in 2011, right? Right. So he got right. the, the 2016 ring, the – 2017 right or no that was the eagles 2016 2019 and then 2021 is that right he's a three-time champion um yeah oh, no, no, no. didn't they get 2014 too i thought i yeah. thought he had three with the pats one with the bucks is that correct i think you might be right i'm struggling to remember all of the damn Patriots Super Bowls because they've only been in a thousand of them. Right. Yeah. Okay. He is a four-time Super Bowl champion. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's four-time first-team all-pro selection, five-time Pro Bowl selection, was in the 2010s all-decade team and the 100th anniversary all-time team. Like, yeah. I mean, no question. First of all, yeah, you're right. You're right. That's not – I, you know, I just have to give him a little bit of grief, you know, because, like, fuck the Patriots. although dominant. Well, yeah, fuck the Patriots, dude. <laughs> like, what, are you, 
What do you want me to say, Ryan? Like, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly why. It's fair. I'm and he's and he's he is kind of dumb, right? Like, that's not fake, right? Like, he does that. I mean, I think some of it might be an act, but he can't be that smart. I I think he's he's definitely yeah, but at the same he, time, I do he, think he's, he's like a WWE it. character. His whole life is like a WWE yeah uh, skit. Yeah, pretty much. I I definitely think like he started to play into it, which if you've seen uh, what what is it the USAA commercials on TV where he's calling them up and trying to pretend he's a, a veteran so he can get a USAA card. Like clearly oh, he's yeah. playing into it a little bit. You know what I mean? Like he knows what he's doing. Um, but yeah. That I, commercial I with Tom is funny too. Yes. Yeah. Dude, honestly, every single uh, Gronk commercial has been amazing. Although those particular USAA ones, I'm so tired of because they play them like 25 times a game. So all right, with that said, uh, we can go ahead and move on to our next story here. Ryan Fitzpatrick officially joins the Amazon Thursday Night Football crew. You know, we talked about this when we uh, talked about uh, him retiring initially and uh, finally officially happens. I'll be excited to see him. Uh, you know, you talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick, a very smart guy, graduated from Harvard, uh, scored highly on the Wonderlick test for whatever that matters. And uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be really exciting to uh, hear his point of view and his personality uh, on the screen there on Thursdays. Yeah, I think it's going to be like a legendary performance, if I'm being honest with you. I think this is like such a good role for him. Um, I'm pretty sure you had called it when when we uh, announced his retirement here on the show um, that, you know, they were uh, looking into him and that he would just fill that role so nice and yeah, I think he's going to kill it, dude. I think it's going to be hilarious. I just – I don't know. I just watch the games, like, low-key on the easiest way I can. And, like, if it's, like, an Amazon-only game <coughs> – excuse me um, – I'll probably just end up, like, you know, going to our a particular website and watching it. Um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So – yeah, I don't know, but uh, I just hope I can hear as much as I can because I do think that like certain athletes step into like like Steve Smith is so good on the mic, dude. Him, yeah, uh, Manning, Eli, like, and I think Ryan Fitzpatrick's gonna be right up there as well, or he's gonna be like Tony Romo. Well, like not like Tony Romo now, but Tony Romo initially when he was just like, I don't know fucking just like predicting stuff and telling yeah. you how everything's and you know what i mean so just because i mean ryan just got done playing so it's uh yeah. it's pretty cool i'm excited for it no absolutely i totally agree with you and it, it'll, it will be interesting to see like what kind of style he has coming out because you're right with tony romo like i think he's gotten better as a straight up announcer throughout his career um and initially, like you, you mentioned, he was really kind of leaning into the uh, prediction part of it because he just has such a brain for the game, uh, which Ryan Fitzpatrick does as well. So uh, it could end up being a similar situation. Uh, and it, there's obviously a balance of that kind of stuff because it is cool every once in a while when Tony Romo's just like, they're going to run to the left and then they run to the left. You know what I mean? But when he's doing it like every other play, you're like, okay, Tony, I get it. Thank you. Appreciate you, buddy. 
so, you know, we'll have to see how Ryan Fitzpatrick comes out and develops as an announcer. But yeah, I mean, like you said, I think he's got the chops for it, uh, both intellectually and personality wise. Uh, yeah, it'll be really exciting to see. And then, you know, it's going to be required if he does a Buffalo Thursday night game, he's going to have to be in the booth shirtless holding the beer. That's just how it's got to be. He's going to be the fucking field reporter. He's going to yes. be out there freezing ass. Yes. Please, I need it. He's Please, all yelling because it's all windy. <laughs> right. I need that. His, like, beard's flopping in the wind. Right, it's all frozen. He's like, hello, guys. <laughs> How's it going? I need it. Yeah, all right. dude. Well, I, I just fuck with Ryan Fitzpatrick so heavy, so. Same. And, like yeah. I said, like, literally, he, he's, like, top five best Jets quarterback for, like, a season. You know what I mean? Like, just is. Like, just is, dog. He just really, like, we don't have a big list, dude. Well, and I think, like, too, he was kind of, like, it's weird to talk about the renaissance of his career when you talk about somebody who bounced around the league as much as he did. But he he was kind of in that sweet spot for a few years there where he has the intellectual part of the game and he's developed there. But then he's also developed physically as a quarterback, and he's uh, not declining yet. You know what I mean? And so I think what because the Jets was what like twenty was that like twenty seventeen? Twenty fifteen. Okay, I was thinking it was twenty fifteen or twenty seventeen, and I guess twenty seventeen. But um, it was yeah between then and I would say like really kind of the end of that phase of his career was like you know after the Buccaneers year. And then after that, he physically was starting to decline. And I think that's when he was like, all right, it's probably time to call it. Um, but there, there was a period where, like, he kind of had the little sweet spot. And, again, you know, he's Ryan Fitzpatrick. And throughout his career, he, he wasn't able to, like, sustain that high level of play. But he had those moments. And then I feel like in that section of his career, he had more of those moments. You know what I mean? Like, more of the good moments. So, uh, but – with that said, uh, you know, we wish the best for him moving forward. Uh, like we said, just for him as a person, uh, you know, just taking the football out of it altogether. He's just a good dude, so we hope the best. Um, and then our next story here, the Patriots announced that their red throwback uniforms with the white helmet and the Path the Patriot logo are going to come back for 2022. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the Patriots' new uniforms in general. Like, I think, like, they're, in my opinion, the best they've had in their entire history. Um, and then I think that these red ones happen to fit in perfectly with those just because of the style with the three stripes and everything on the shoulders and then on the pants. It's just a simple, clean uniform. You got the simple colors. And then to top it off with the throwback, you have the white helmet and then the badass Pat the Patriot logo. You know what I mean? Like, They've had those a few times throughout the years, and I, I always had a fondness for them, even though I uh, was not fond of the Patriots. <clears throat> yeah. Um, it's all right. It's all right at best. It's all right at best, It's all right at best. I think as far as red jerseys go, I'm not really too big on the color red period, um, but as far as red jerseys go, it's all right. It's all right for sure. Um, I think my favorite way I've seen it is um, Matt Judon with his 
fucking red sleeves. I think that's pretty clean. Um, I also think this jersey looks clean in a snow game. And I also uh, remember when the NFL was doing like those AFL throwbacks and the Jets had the Titans of New York ones. uh, The Titans had the Oiler ones. Mm -hmm. uh, And obviously the Patriots had these ones. And the Broncos had those fucked up uh, yellow ones. Um, (laughs) They were fucked up. Um, I, I love them so much, though. I know, dude. Like every time we bring those up, like you like instantly defend them instantly. You're like, no, 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 no. I have to. They're so ugly, but they're good. I know. I get it, dude. Um, fucking. So yeah, I don't know. It's just like it brings up those memories for me. Um, it also brings up like I always thought low key. And again, like I feel so bad bringing it up, but. Like my one of one of my favorite jerseys was like that red Aaron Hernandez one, um, yeah. so it just like screams. Sorry, I can't do it. Um, <laughs> right. So yeah, but yeah. I I just I'm happy that the NFL is getting more and more with different jerseys and different helmets and because that's we need that shit. But I what I really need, I need to see the creamsicle buck uniforms. Yes. Before Tom retires. Dude, it's so overdue. It's so overdue. And well, fucking, I thought they announced them, right? Didn't they announce that they're going to come back? The, yeah, but it's I, it was already overdue. Like, I needed the um, – because they could only do it this year because of the uh, one shell rule where for, right. I think it was since like 2013, the league implemented a rule where you could only have one – like you can only paint the color of the helmets one time. And you couldn't use different helmets, so you could only have one paint color. Um, and so it made it impossible to do a lot of these throwbacks when you have normal silver Patriots helmets and then the throwback is white. And you just couldn't do that. Um, and so the only like alternates, like you look at all the color rush ones, you look at the Denver Broncos, I'm willing to bet they probably would have done like the royal blue if they had the opportunity to, like the old Broncos blue but they had to do the current Navy color because they had no choice. Um, and so, it, you know, it, it definitely opens up a lot of opportunities across the league. You talk about the cream sickles, you talk about these, uh, hell, even bring back the brown and yellows. Just, just do it, Denver. Just do it, Denver. No, actually don't do that. That was terrible, but they're fun to, it, it's almost like a, like it's because it was only the one year, it's almost like, a, did that really happen? Like, did we really actually make them trot out in yellow and brown? Like The uh, the ones that I thought were pretty – I thought the white and brown ones were decent. But, they they uh, were bad. The problem with those is that the pants, they, they only had one – I don't understand why, but they only had one pair of pants, and the pants had yellow. So it wasn't all the way brown and white. Like the sock were brown and white, the jersey was brown and white, but then the pants still had the yellow stripe, and it just threw off the entire thing for me. And it was like you, you were that close to it, like being actually kind of acceptable, and then you still put some yellow in there. Like, but you but, still found a way to fuck it up for me. So, yeah, no, I, and I, I owned a pair of those socks when I was a kid. And I unfortunately don't have them anymore, but I would buy another pair in a heartbeat uh, if they ever went on sale. 
because who would like that? So, but oh, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure you can Amazon those socks, dog. I'm sure, or at least some like random Chinese website. I'm sure has them. Right, like some replica, dude. You would be the goat of goats if you like fucking Chinese knocked off those socks. Like, no one could fuck with you as far as being a Bronco fan. Like, just, no one could, dude. No one could. Just, just wear those out to a game. Yeah, That's dude. Well, it's like, you know how much of a fan you have to be to, like, Chinese knockoff a fucking pair of socks. Like, that's amazing. A pair of socks that is piss yellow and poop brown, no less. Yeah, like, it's one of those, like, one of the more worst color combinations anyone <laughs> has ever seen ever. But, yeah, you know... It's also so good that it's so bad. Or so exactly. bad that it's so good. I, I actually, like, I will throw this in real quick because I've been uh, recently reading, like, just a book about the history of the Denver Broncos um, and just, you know, stories and stuff. And I knew a little bit of the context uh, with those uniforms, but not, like, the entire thing. And they were our first, very first uniforms when the Denver Broncos had, like, barely scraped up enough money to make the team and instead of, like, a team headquarters, we literally had, like, a military tent that was there for, like, over five years. It was, like, 1960 to 65 before we actually got, like, a facility. They were just running the team out of a tent. So they were. They also did not have enough, like, they just uh, mass bought some old uniforms from another football team that had, you know, like, they were no longer active. Um, and they just happened to be yellow and brown. And then when they finally changed them, they took, like, at least they say all but one. I'm sure some other ones escaped, but they took all but one of the socks and put it in a giant pile and then set fire to it. And then the final one they put in the frame in uh, Denver Broncos HQ, and it's apparently still there. So some fun history behind them, even if they're, like, the most ugly uniform the NFL has ever put out. Do you want to know something else? Yeah. They, uh, the University of Wyoming got those colors. They do. They like literally just copy and pasted that shit. But for some reason, um, they are, uh, I don't know. The University of Wyoming like looked better than the Broncos did. They like, yeah, pulled it off somehow much better. Yeah. And I'm not sure. Yeah, I I mean, I don't really think, you know, yellow and brown when I think of Wyoming, but, like, they do definitely pull it off way better. So if you're going to choose that, at least they did a good job of that. And I like their uh, – because they got, like, the horse logo or whatever, right? Yeah, it's, it's like the logo. cowboy thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty nice logo. So, yeah, you know, I mean, as long as we don't get any more teams with yellow and brown, like, just don't anymore. Just make that again. <laughs> no. But yeah, I don't know, dude. Uh, I'd probably just cop one, anyways. I mean, like, like you said, at least Wyoming does it better. Those Broncos ones, like, I will defend them to the tooth purely just because I'm a Broncos fan that way. But they really are so goddamn ugly. They're so bad. I love that they uh, still have them in Madden, though, so I can just look terrible whenever I want to. Can't, do they really still have them in Madden? That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So 
enough uniform talk, we can move on to our very last story, or NFL story, I should say, uh, for today. The Steelers signed Larry Ogunjobi to a one-year deal. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of those, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you're after the draft. Uh, value has lowered on those contracts. And so at this point, uh, you're just looking to cash in, go into a, a team and see what you can contribute. Um, and so you don't necessarily look at this as a long-term thing. Ogunjobi uh, getting a little bit older anyways, but he should be a solid contributor for a team that is hoping to sniff the playoffs. Um, I don't know that they're going to do that in a uh, very competitive AFC North, even without Deshaun Watson, to be honest with you. Like, I view the Steelers as 100% the worst team in that division. And then I genuinely think, depending on who's at quarterback for the Browns, I think the Browns with like Jacoby Brissett have a better chance of making the playoffs than the Steelers. Dang, like that, Ryan? I, I mean, I'm a Steelers hater, just, just a tiny bit, but like, I don't know, man. They have, and I would obviously, you know, I'm excited to get into them in depth when we go through them in the breakdowns, but they have a lot of solid pieces sprinkled around. They've added some young players, but I, I don't know how quickly Kenny Pickett is going to be good, if ever. Small hands, Kenny Pickett. Uh, if Trubisky yeah. starts, who knows what he is. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I just don't think that you can win like that, especially when you don't have a defense that's going to carry you. I mean, you obviously have a TJ Watt. You know, you have Minka Fitzpatrick. You have plenty of players sprinkled throughout there. But then you look at the Browns defense, who is pretty much stars across the board. Like they have almost no weak spots. And so even, in, and then on the offense, you know, you're a little bit depleted at wide receiver, um, but you bring in Amari Cooper and, um, you know, like they, they're not overwhelming on offense, but I think even with the Jacoby Brissett, that's enough that if whoever's at quarterback doesn't actively throw away the game, the Browns defense can probably lead them to quite a few wins. Okay, so I think I, th- I think the Steelers I like I think your opinion on the Steelers is fair. Like I don't think they're like a good team, and for whatever reason, like and I I did this with the Dolphins when I was picking my picks for their games when when I was breaking them down. Um, I was like, oh, the Steelers. They play the Steelers. Like that should be a tough game. But then I'm like, oh wait, never mind. Kenny Pickett. Um, so I do understand where you're coming from. I just also think that we just kind of have to wait and see, you know, cause yeah. if he's as like, if he's as good as Mac Jones, right. Right. I think they have a good enough defense. I think George Pickens is going to be really, really good. I, I, yeah. I think that regardless of what Kenny Pickett is, I think George Pickens is going to be really, really good. Um, and yeah, I mean, they got, top three wide receiver in the NFL, Chase Claypool. Um, you know, they got top three. Uh, did you did you see that by the way? Because I'm I not being serious. That. Okay, uh, cool. No, I was I, just I making sure. Um because like I was like Chase Chase Claypool is on some crazy drugs right now. Like <laughs> right. I don't know what <laughs> top three have you seen that? Team. It's like that it's like that Padme meme. Where he's like, um, I'm top three. I'm a top three wide receiver, and she's like, on the Steelers, right? 
Oh, and then yeah. it goes back to space. Yeah, like, shit had me dying. Um, That's so good. But it's so good, dude. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I do think this is a decent move by the Steelers to grab him. Uh, uh, also, quick note about this transaction. He has played for three of a, of the AFC North teams now. He played oh, wow. for the Bengals, the Browns, and now the Steelers. The only one that he's missing is your Baltimore Ravens. The best one? Dang. True, true. Well, can I <laughs> – can I make an argument? Sure. Can I hot take you? Absolutely, you can. Is Cincinnati not the best one? Well, okay, maybe you like right now. I mean, I would have to look. I would have to directly compare rosters because I think Ravens defensively have added a lot. But then I also think that, like, in general, oh no, because the Ravens have like nobody a wide receiver, and the Bengals have one of, if not the single best wide receiver room in the entire league, plus Joey Burrow, plus Joe Mixon, plus a now solid offensive line, plus decent tight ends, even though they uh lost fucking oh my god, Uzama, thank Uzama. you, CJ Uzama. I like him too, I was kicking myself over that. Um, they lost Uzama, but they, they have a really solid offense. And then I do think that they replenished a bit on defense, but they're still lacking a little bit there. I don't, I, uh, I think they're like head head to head. But if the Ravens had at least a solid veteran wide receiver in the room, I would think it'd be a lot closer. But the pure difference between the wide receiver rooms for me is almost what pushes it Bengals. Can I can I offer you a, a truce on it? Because what I'll say is. Although the Bengals have the better wide receiver room, I would argue that you guys' secondary is bar none way better than the Bengals. Like, it's almost so – it almost like, you know, is the kryptonite, right? Like, literally. Because, like, uh, fucking uh, Kyle Hamilton, um, Marcus Williams, right? That's the guy you guys got from the Saints. Yeah. you got fucking Marcus Peters back. You got fucking uh, Marlon Humphrey. Like, dude, dude, that's a that's like that's a very scary uh, secondary. So dude, Kyle yeah, Fuller a- came over from the Broncos too, and then we just drafted Jalen Armour Davis out of Bama. That's uh, like both those guys at cornerback too. Like, goddamn, Chuck Clark still, Tony Jefferson still. Just Tony too Jefferson. many, just too too I'm many just, good players, bro. I'm just saying, dude. And then Kyle Kyle Hamilton is the one. I'm I'm so excited to see him play. Um, it's dumb. Um, so yeah, I'm. Oh yeah, I mean that's a pretty fair hot take, Ryan. I'll give you that. I I, I thought that was pretty fair. Tell tell you what though, I now I'm even more excited to go over the AFC North because like that really is one of the toughest divisions in football. And then especially like you said, like. I think, like you mentioned with Kenny Pickett, coming into the draft, Kenny Pickett was viewed of the or viewed as the quotations Mac Jones of this draft class because he has the archetype of quarterback that may be able to come into the league and do well in his first couple of years, but may not have the highest ceiling as a player and not as much room to grow as the other guys. 
Um, and so if Kenny Pickett can come out and lead them decently and lead them similarly to a Mac Jones, um, yeah, I think the Steelers will be competitive. And then especially when you talk about the Browns and uh, what happens with the Sean suspension, that I think is a scenario where you see the Steelers uh, being closer to competing. I think if you have the Browns at full strength and then Deshaun has like six games as a suspension, which I severely hope it's longer than that, but we just don't know at this point. Um, you know, I think that like, I, I cannot see the Browns being fourth in division with Deshaun Watson. Like I just can't. You, so let me say um, also, real quick, it's Shannon Sharp's birthday today. Oh, dang. Is there... Happy birthday, Shannon Sharp. Shit. Shout out, Unk. Shout out, fucking Unk, Shannon Sharp, dude. Yes, sir. Um, dude, and like, real quick, just to say, Shannon Sharp, still in phenomenal fucking shape, bro. Dude. Like, phenomenal fucking shape, bro. Like, it's crazy what Shannon Sharp looks like at 54, dude. It's yeah. absolutely insane. But um, anyways, um, yeah, I don't know, dude. It's just one of those things that for me personally, I, I, I don't know. I just want to talk about Joe Burrow and the Bengals. I don't, I don't want, I don't even want to talk about Kenny Pickett, but um, I think for sure Deshaun gets a year, right? Like Deshaun has to get a year. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I, I know that uh, I saw some uh, like all the big, uh, you know, sources and people right now are currently saying that the NFL is pushing for a year suspension at least. But I guess my understanding of it is like the NFL has a p- particular person that decides exactly what uh, punishment and how long they get. And so the NFL as a league, I guess, can't necessarily just like say what it is or like they can't come out and make that decision it's up to that particular person based off of their you know understanding of the case and um, things like that so i mean we'll see we'll see we'll see what ends up happening but i would tend to agree with you that like i genuinely do not think it should be any less than a year um i think it should be longer than a year quite frankly um but you know, that's getting my hopes up a little bit. So we'll just have to see what the NFL ends up passing down. But that will definitely, um, you know, shape the outlook of this division for sure. You think – okay, sorry. I, I, I won't stay on it too long. But if you if you suspend Deshaun for more than a year, right, then what do the Browns do? Because Maybe you should have thought about that before trading for a sexual assault quarterback and then paying him two hundred thirty million guaranteed. Yeah. I I I agree for sure. Do you think this is like one of those like potentially franchise altering moves? Oh, like, I'm sorry, I think it's past that point. I think any Browns fan that's a woman has a completely different outlook on this organization than they did a couple months ago. A straight up. I mean, like I would love to hear if uh, people disagree with that, I'm sure that there are some, there's always, I mean, there's a ton of people that are still defending Deshaun Watson. Uh, But I think women in particular, you saw that like 
the moment that the deal came out, like it's, it's almost personal, you know what I mean? Because it, it shows how the organization values women and values those situations and, and that kind of person to be in their organization. You know what I mean? So clearly they value the football $230 million worth more than they value all of their women fans. That's the way I feel. Right. No, and, and I, I agree for sure. And, you know, especially with, um, you know, I have daughters. And so, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that point. And, it, and if I'm being honest with you, it's quite um, it's quite sad because Deshaun Watson really was one of my favorite football players for such a long yeah. time. And it's um, it was it was actually like kind of surreal because I went to the mall and I saw um, Deshaun Watson jerseys and literally like I could not fathom who's going to buy those jerseys. And, like, they're on the clearance rack, right, because he doesn't play for the Texans anymore. But, like, who could, like, legitimately wear a Deshaun Watson jersey? It amazes me how many people there are that will still defend him at this point. But, you know, somebody will buy him. Yeah, I I don't know about the Texans one. Um, I would imagine that somebody's going to buy a Browns one for sure. True. And, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that if Deshaun Watson, like, wins you a Super Bowl uh, one year if you're in Cleveland. Do you feel, like, good about that because you finally won a Super Bowl? Or um, you just, like, I guess. That, that might actually be, like, the most Browns situation of all time is you finally – Finally, oh. get to the top of the hill, and it's by a quarterback that half of the fan base despises. Right, <laughs> like that, that'd be the most Browns ass situation. Oh. That is that is a good point. Also, can I just um, can I just mention something since we're talking about uh, random quarterbacks? Well, I guess we were talking about the Steelers, and then we got into Deshaun Watson. Um, can I propose a new nickname for Zach Wilson? Absolutely. The savior. I'm with it. And the only reason I'm saying that is because his ass came from BYU. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's what I mean. Dude, like, he's the second overall draft pick. He is, like, the franchise quarterback. He's going to his second year. And, like, dude, if you slap a beard on that boy – he looks quite Jesus-like. I, I don't know, dude. He just – it was – it, like, just came over me as – um, I was watching that flight 2022. I was like, damn, like, Zach Wilson looks like a savior right now. And I was like, dude, that would be – like, that's got to be his nickname from now on. Zach Wilson is the savior. Um, and I'm just saying. I just think it fits so good. And he comes from BYU. It's like – it just all fits, you know. It just all it's fits. It fits on multiple levels. No, absolutely. Dude, I'm, I, I'm telling you, I get deep with it, Ryan. I get deep with it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. So I suppose with that, we can go ahead and move over to our NBA uh, news this morning. So mostly we're just going to go over a couple of the draft picks. Uh, we're not going to go through a whole lot, um, just a few things here. Uh, so 
first of all, got to give a shout out to Jabari Parker from Auburn going number three to the Houston Rockets. A lot of people thought that he could even go number one. That seemed to be the leading idea leading into draft night. And then, uh, you know, the last couple hours, uh, Paolo Ventura, I think it's pronounced, uh, ended up being the number one pick out of Duke. So congratulations to him going to the Magic. Um, and then Chet Holmgren at number two and Jabari Parker at number three. So good for him. And then uh, did want to touch on the Nuggets draft pick here. So or at least our first round draft pick at number 21, the Nuggets select Christian Braun, a guard out of Kansas. And I got to be honest with you, as a Nuggets fan who admittedly did not do a whole lot of research into a ton of the players on the draft, I knew some of them from watching Auburn's season. Um, and then I watched some of the uh, March Madness, but, you know, I'm still kind of getting into uh college basketball and uh so it's not my strong suit so i when they drafted christian bond and i saw a guard i was like why <laughs> what are we doing like the we the one thing that we have too much of on this team already almost is guards um but once i started to look into him a little bit more start to watch some tape start to understand the vision and who he can be as a player i'm pretty dang excited about christian Braun. so He's, for one, 6'6", so a tall guard. He's very athletic and has a 40-inch vertical, um, so he can really get up there, especially for a light boy. Um, and then he has a 6'6 wingspan as well. So, you know, that's kind of a drawback there. Uh, when you look at NBA players, you usually like them to have a wider wingspan than their height, um, so, and he's just about even there. But because of his 40-inch uh, vert, that does help a little bit when you talk about, like, blocking shots and things like that. Um, he's a versatile defender that could, in theory, guard one through five someday if he adds some more size. Uh, he does only weigh 209 pounds right now, but right now at least he can come in and probably guard one through three. Uh, he's still developing offensively. He's good at driving and cutting to the rim with or without the ball uh, and playing above the rim, too, with that 40-inch vertical. Uh, he did only shoot three seven eight point from three or in his – I'm sorry – 0.378 from three in college his last year there. Um, and he can definitely use some improvement there in the NBA. Um, so, you know, that that would be the biggest concern that I have is that he's not like a lights out three shooter as a team that really needs shooters almost more than anything. Uh, but I love how defensively focused he is. Um, and he plays with an attitude too. He kind of reminds me of like almost a Marcus Smart or a Draymond. I would say Marcus Smart, obviously, in terms of, like, size, uh, but Draymond in terms of, like, attitude, where he's got that, you know, kind of dog to him. Uh, so, yeah, he's got that really dog. Interesting. yeah, exactly. He's got that dog. Uh, and he, he also has some interesting playmaking ability as well. He can make passes, uh, but oftentimes in the tape, I saw that he was late. Uh, or almost late on his reads. Uh, so you would like him to improve on that end, but he's shown some flashes. Um, and then he is capable of being either the ball hander or the role man in a pick and roll uh, and can make short roll passes. So he's got a lot of variety in his game, but he doesn't necessarily, other than defending, he doesn't necessarily do anything like outstanding. You know what I mean? And so it, it's an interesting pick. I had some other players that I was really liking uh, for one, Marjan Bochamp ended up going to uh, Milwaukee. He 
He's a defensively focused wing, a little bit bigger there. Um, I thought that would have been a really solid pick for us. But, but, you know, like I said, the more I look into Christian Braun, the more excited I am about what he could potentially be for us. Um, and then especially when you start to look at us losing uh, us rivers in the offseason, which is really one of our only defensive focused guards. Um, and then obviously we no longer have Gary, Gary Harris, who went over to Orlando in the uh, Aaron Gordon trade in 2020. Uh, that, you know, even though we do have a wealth at guard, we have a wealth at guard offensively. You know, you talk about like Jamal Murray, you talk about Bones now, you talk about Monte Morris. Uh, we have enough. We have enough there. But Braun gives us a defensive guy there uh, who can develop into even more. So we'll just have to see. Um, but then at 35, the Lakers selected Max Christie, and he's a guard out of Michigan State. I looked a little bit into him as well. Um, he's a solid defender at 6'6 with a 6'8 wingspan, uh, but does need more size to compete in the paint. He only weighs 189 pounds at 6'6, so he's pretty dang thin. Um, he's a primarily a spot-up perimeter or mid-range shooter, and he's developing a better inside, inside game uh, via off-ball cutting and things like that. Um, he did show some good playmaking in college at times, but his lack of tendency to initiate on-ball offense leaves that as a lesser part of his game where he stands to continue to grow. Um, and then, you know, mention his weight as well, uh, which will affect him defensively, but also offensively, you know, hard for him to do anything inside just because he's so dang thin. Uh, he just can't bump with bigger guys on the inside there. So, um, yeah, I thought that was a, an interesting upside pick at 35. And I felt like surely a sore need on that uh, Lakers team last year was just shooters. And so there's a shooter that can do some defense for you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I, I didn't look into the – I low-key only knew a few names coming out of the NBA draft uh, myself. Um, so I was very excited to see uh, who the Lakers picked. Um, and, yeah, the only thing I would really say that I'm worried about is uh, just his lack of size overall. You know what I mean? His mm -hmm. he's just a very just a very thin frame. Um, but hopefully, once he gets in those NBA uh, training rooms and uh, he gets with the you know the in the grown men's league, he can add some size, um, add some mass to him just to help him in the paint a little bit. But um, yeah, I'm I'm excited about it for sure. And you know uh, what I want to know is who is that kid that was saying that um, he was like I I don't know who he got drafted by. But he was saying that he was like better than LeBron or something crazy. Oh God, I don't know if I saw that, but that sounds hilarious. Yeah, dude, he. I think he said like, he said that his mentality is that he's the best already, and uh, King James needs to see him or some shit like that. I was like, <laughs> dang, kid. I mean, I, I like the confidence. I'm here for the confidence at least. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely here for the first time LeBron has to guard him. I'm definitely here for that. Or the first time he's going to guard LeBron. Like, because, you know, like, dude, you know that shit's going to get to LeBron. Like, you just do. Like, and I'm not saying, like, it's going to, like, bother him, but he's going to hear it. And, um, yeah, that's the king. He's still going to come after you. Like, he's going to eat you up, dog. So, You're going to get embarrassed. Yeah. So I looked it up. And uh, the one that said that is Benedict Matherin, who ended up getting drafted by the Pacers. So I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, 
uh, he's going to kind of struggle to overtake LeBron over in Indiana. What uh, what um, what pick was he picked at? I am looking, but of course the article that I'm looking at does not have a number. That's terrible. It never does, dude. Oops. That's just how it works, you know? Yeah, struggling to find it here. But, yeah, I mean, the point stands. Um, you know, it'll be interesting. Who knows? Maybe he can develop into a star, but that's certainly uh, interesting comments, like kind of putting a target on your own back uh, real early into your career there. So, Okay, so that'll do us for our news section today. And with that, let's go ahead and move in to our breakdowns. So I'll go ahead and hand it over to you for the Miami Dolphins, Enrique. Awesome. <clears throat> so, yeah, I was super excited to do the Dolphins breakdown, um, you know, partially because, you know, my grandpa's a big Dolphins fan and he's, you know, the reason why I became a Jets fan. So that way I could root against his Dolphins and so I could have a, a rival in the family. Um, so I was really, yeah, I was really excited to break down the Dolphins. So their GM is going to be Chris Greer. Uh, head coach is going to be Mike McDaniel. Um, Mike McDaniel, obviously, first-year head coach uh, coming from the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, super excited to see this guy get a job. Super excited to see him get an opportunity to, you know, advance his career in coaching, to, you know, use the different playmakers that the Dolphins have. And we'll go over uh, that roster as well, just, you know, how we always do our breakdowns. Um, and, yeah, I was just – Really excited to see him get paired with some of these playmakers down in Miami, like Tua. And I know that was a big, um, a big hiring reason behind Mike McDaniel coming to the Miami Dolphins was because uh, he really does believe in Tua. Uh, the ownership there, uh, Stephen Ross believes in uh, Tua Tagovailoa as well. Um, and apparently, that was one of the bigger rips between um, him and Brian Flores. So. Um, yeah. Besides that, um, the draft class for the Dolphins, relatively small this year because of, um, you know, the Tyreek Hill trade, which, uh, once again, the Chiefs traded, you know, the six-time Pro Bowl wide receiver uh, to the Dolphins for five draft picks total. Uh, 2022 first-round pick, it was the 29th pick overall. A second-round pick, uh, the number 50th, and a fourth-round pick, plus – fourth and sixth round picks in 20 in the 2023 draft which <clears throat> i mean that's what you're saying tyreek hill is worth and do i agree um partially i think if he can utilize his skill set i think he's worth it i think if he's able to play to uh the ceiling that he has showed in his career thus far i think he's worth it um, you know, but it's up to the scheme. It's up to Tua to get him the ball. So there's a lot of factors in it as well. Um, but as far as their draft class this year, uh, they only had four picks. Um, the first of them being uh, within round three, pick 102, Channing Tindall, linebacker out of Georgia. Uh, the only thing I really say about him is obviously, you know, just like the same problem that some of the other Georgia linebackers had this year. They had a really good defensive line in front of them. Um, and so that kind of is a knock on them, unfortunately, just because when you have the defensive line that you have this year, um, you know, they're able to kind of take the brunt of, you know, things and allow you to, you know, make tackles a little bit easier. Um, but, you know, still n nothing taken away from the young man. Um, still a very good player to get 
took in the third round. Um, and more than likely, he's going to be a um, a rotational linebacker, you know. So I would I would look for that with um, Channing Tindall. Um, and then round four, pick 125, we got Eric Izu Kanma, wide receiver out of Texas A&M. And, um, yeah, uh, another one of those guys that, you know, is a very good player. Um, and he's going to kind of compete for the, you know, fifth or sixth uh, wide receiver spot there on the roster, um, you know, maybe four or five depending on. Uh, some of the other guys in the room as far as uh, guys they invite to training camp, uh, other undrafted free agents, such and such. Um, then round seven, pick 224, Cameron Good or Good Day, however he says last name, sorry. Uh, I got the long one easy, but then the short last name killed me. Um, linebacker out of Cal, um, probably going to be a special teams contributor. You know, just, you know, he's definitely going to have to um, – earn his right on the roster, but should still have an opportunity to do that. Um, and then their last pick of the draft was in round seven, pick 247, uh, Skylar Thompson, quarterback out of K-State. Um, it just kind of depends. I only personally see the Dolphins keeping two quarterbacks, um, but this guy could end up on their practice squad more than likely, um, you know, just as a de- developmental piece, um, you know, in a similar skill set of, Tua or Jacoby or like Jacoby Brissett, um, but now they have you know good old Teddy back uh, backing them up. Um, so, and I mean I would say like the biggest thing about the draft class this year is, you know, it's mainly Tyree Kill. So, you know, if you're a Dolphins fan, you're not really paying attention to these guys maybe as much as you should just because you know. No first or second round picks this year. Those are kind of the sexy picks for the fans. But um, also, you know, the Dolphins have a really good roster right now. Um, I would say that they have solid starters in most of their spots. And so a lot of these guys aren't going to be asked to do a lot, which is good for them developmentally because the Dolphins will be able to almost take an off year as far as like truly trying to develop guys to add quality starters, uh, unlike the Jets or some of these other teams that have to – you know, find day one starters almost. Um, the Dolphins are almost able to take a year off with that. Not saying you necessarily should, but it's kind of the hand that you doubt yourself in the Tyreek Hill trade, which all I'm going to say is the Jets only offered two seconds. So, you know, take with that information you will. But, um, yeah, uh, ultimately that's what you're – putting that price tag on Tyreek Hill is that, you know, he was worth those uh, five picks, including your two top picks this year. And um, yeah, I mean, like I said, the wide receiver, uh, Eric Uzenkanma, he's more than likely going to be fighting for that number four, five, six role. Just kind of depends on how many wide receivers they end up keeping, um, depending on if there's any injuries. But um, otherwise the wide receiver room for the Dolphins looks relatively set with their, um, you know, with their top guys up there. So, but otherwise, you know, he can contribute special teams. Um, a lot, of, I think a lot of these guys will probably contribute uh, on special teams. It just kind of depends on um, how training camp works out and et cetera, et cetera. So moving on to their roster, um, I'm expecting to keep two quarterbacks, two of Tango Valoa, obviously being the starter and, uh, Good old steady Teddy backing him up. 
Uh, running back slash fullback, um, I have him keeping five of these guys. Um, first of all, we got Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mosert, Sony Michelle, Miles Gaskin, and Alan, Alec Ingold. Um, yeah, I would look for like kind of like a three-headed monster uh, there with Chase Edmonds, Raheem, and Sony Michelle. Um, you know, I, I think they're all these guys have a similar skill set, but also are um, different in their own ways. Um, Raheem and uh, Chase Edmonds, I think, are going to make a very nice duo, and then being able to slip Sony Michelle in there for um, screen passes and you know, just as a overall weapon out of the backfield, I think is ingenious. Um, I think that Raheem following Mike McDaniel from the 49ers is a brilliant move. Um, he's seen what Mike McDaniel can do with him. He's comfortable in the system already. And even more so, um, he's going to be able to help Tua develop in that system as well because he's going to know his role in that system and he's going to be able to help point out um, different things that he saw Jimmy G do or Trey Lance do out in San Francisco to help Tua get into that uh, same rhythm in that offense with him as well. So very, very big move. And plus that dude is a burner. Like for, for a running back, that dude is a burner. Um, I was watching a, a Instagram story with him in there and the highlight of it is just crazy, just burning guys. Um, well, speaking of Tyreek Hill, um, that wide receiver room uh, starts out with him. Um, and then you have Jalen Waddle, who they drafted in the first round last year. Um, and he's been a menace. I mean, one, he's got the best touchdown celebration in the league, the Waddle. Like, mm -hmm. it's just it's just classic. It really is amazing. It's just so good. Um, and, yeah, he had an instant connection with Tua, um, obviously, from their time together. And it's just been, it's just been phenomenal to see him. Um, develop into, you know, one of the nice, young, aspiring wide receivers in the NFL so far. Um, and then you have Cedric Wilson Jr., um, who I believe they picked up free agency this year. Um, so, yeah, that should be a nice addition to the wide receiver room. Um, and then you have the draftee, Eric Izukanma. You got Preston Williams and Lynn, and then Lynn Bowden Jr. rounding out that room. Um, at tight end, you got the number one tight end, um, on the roster, Mike Gosecki, who's a receiving threat, uh, kind of low-key reminds me of, like, old-school Gronk back in the day. Um, just big, big body white dude that's just plucking balls. Almost, you know, even a little reminiscent of a little throwback here, Jeremy Shockey from um, Ooh, yeah. Giants back. You know, I'm just saying. Not I'm as good saying. as hair, though. Not as good as hair. And um, Jeremy Shockey had a cool tattoo on his arm. Yeah, like that big American flag. So, um, and I'm, you know, you know how I am with tattoos. So, um, yeah, it was definitely one of the things that stuck out to me as a uh, as a kid. Um, so, yeah, Michael Secchi running that room there. And then you got Duran Smith, Adam Shaheen, and Hunter Long. Um, you know, I'm, I'm expecting them to keep four tight ends. Um, you know, Durham Smith's kind of more of a blocking tight end. Gasecki doesn't really do that, but ultimately he's such a dynamic receiving threat that almost low-key makes up for it. Um, offensive line, you got the new addition from the New Orleans Saints, Teron Armstead, who 
He's getting paid a lot of money to protect Tua. Um, so I'm excited to see what he can do for the Dolphins offensive line. Got Connor Williams, Michael Dieter, Robert Hunt, Liam Eckenberg, Austin Jackson, Robert Jones, and Kellen Deesh rounding out that room there. Um, it, obviously, it's all going to come off of what Teron Armstead does. Um, you know, he's going to be looked to as the guy on that offensive line. And, um, yeah, he's looking to solidify this unit a little bit to keep to an upright for sure. Um, then on the defensive line, you got the new signee, Emmanuel Ogbo, Ogba, Christian Wilkins, Zach Seiler, Raquan Davis, and Adam Butler. Um, Ogbo, I believe, has played with the Dolphins before, uh, left, and then now he's back. Uh, Christian Wilkins was drafted a few years ago. Um, stalwart on uh, on the defensive line, um, just looking to continue to develop and continue to, um, you know, get uh, more productive in the defense altogether. Um, Zach Seiler, Raquan Davis, and Adam Butler, you know, will add a nice little rotation uh, for the defensive line. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I would imagine that on as far as this this defense goes, um, a lot of it's going to be ran through the linebackers. Um, just because, I mean, they have, I, I haven't given 10 linebackers. And the reason being is because they all do so many different things on the defense that, you know, it's like you just do kind of need that many. Um, so I have them keeping Jerome Baker, Jalen Phillips, Melvin Ingram, Eladon Roberts, Elandon Roberts, um, Andrew Van Ginkle, Channing Tindall, um, Sag, Sam Iguvan, Duke Riley, <coughs> Cameron Good, and Brennan Scarlett. Um, like I said, you know, they just have a lot of different roles on this defense. Melvin Ingram, obviously, being the pass rushing guy, um, which was another awesome pickup for the Dolphins this year. Uh, just a very underrated move. He had his struggles last year with the Chiefs, but came on uh, very strong in the playoffs and getting towards the end of the season. So very nice pickup in my opinion for the Dolphins. Uh, and then, yeah, just looking for a lot of these guys to contribute in their own unique way, um, whether that's special teams, you know, uh, first downs, second downs, pass, passing situations, just whatever, um, whatever that, you know, the Dolphins need, they keep just a, a plethora of linebackers. So that way they can keep guys fresh, guys get injured and, uh, yeah, I, I when I was looking uh, for this like kind of rounded out idea of uh, what the Dolphins roster was going to look like, um, I couldn't believe that I had them keeping that many linebackers either. But just to make sure that this defense works the way it needs to, um, it's just kind of necessary. Um, then at corner we got Xavier Howard, Bry Byron Jones, Nick Needham, Noah Ig. Actually, you know this guy's name. What's his name, Ryan? Noah Igbenogany. I had to See? practice that quite a few times. Yeah, I remember talking to you about his name. Or, well, I remember you talking to me about him as a player, um, as someone that you liked coming out of the draft that year. Um, and I, I already knew. See, I just – I knew you had my back like that. I appreciate you. Um, and then we got Keon Crossin and Trill Williams running out the cornerback room. Um, have him keeping six corners. Um, and, yeah, obviously it starts with the two guys up there, Xavier Howard just, uh, you know, getting that bag, and Byron Jones uh, still being uh, a nice free agency pickup from a few years ago. 
uh, Javon Holland, Brandon Jones, Eric Rowe, Sheldrick Redwine, and Vernon McKinley the third are going to be the five safeties that I have the Dolphins keeping um, with Holland and Brandon Jones, um, you know, fighting for the starting two spots. And then Eric Rowe, um, either fighting to overtake one or uh, back him up. Um, and then our specialists, we got Jason Sanders, Thomas Morstead, and Blake Ferguson. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think this roster is – I think it's definitely kind of offensive heavy, um, with, and especially with a lot of it hinging on how good Tua is. And whether you're a Tua person or not a Tua person, um, I don't think we've seen enough of him to really give him an accurate grade just quite yet. Um, I do think the Dolphins are supplementing him as best as they can with weapons, uh, offensive line help. They brought in Teron Armstead, Tyreek Hill. Um, obviously, those are the two big moves. Um, but I think they are lacking as far as on the defensive line. Um, I, I just don't necessarily see the difference maker on the defensive line. Um, I think they have good depth at the linebacker uh, spots, but I also think that, if I'm being honest, um, Melvin Ingram is probably one of the more disrupting forces on that uh, linebacking crew. And with Melvin Ingram being as old as he is and um, playing as long as he have, I would imagine that's not the way the Dolphins want that to work out. Um, so I, I, I just think the Dolphins could use some help defensively I think their secondary is good enough corner, cornerback-wise. I would say they have probably one of the best tandems, um, especially with Xavier Howard. Xavier Howard's just been a lockdown corner for so long now, um, and he does not get enough respect at all. So it's definitely definitely overdue for him to get his respect, um, but it seems like people are starting to recognize how good of a player he is now. Um, and, yeah, I mean, otherwise, I think this roster really lives and dies through Tua. Um, and we'll just have to see kind of what the final 53 looks like. But ultimately, yeah, that's kind of my prediction on it. Um, now getting into their schedule. So I, their schedule is a little weird in my opinion. So, and, and we'll kind of go through it now. So the Pats week one, then you have the Ravens week two, and that's at Baltimore. And then you got the Bills week three, the at the Bengals week four, and then at the Jets at week five. So stopping right there for a quick second. The Pats week one, I have them winning. Um, I'm not necessarily uh, – I'm the division games in this division particularly, if you're not the Bills, are so crucial. And uh, we'll go over it a little bit more as well, but they're so crucial because – you really are kind of fighting for second place in this division, uh, like we said earlier. Um, and if you can start out your uh, year with a week one home win over your division rival, that's huge. And I don't think that it's un like, I, I think at this point, it's almost more than likely that the Dolphins are going to win just based off of their offensive talent. Um, their defense can be super stingy. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and say week one at home, the Dolphins get it done, knock out the Patriots. Um, I then have them going to Baltimore and losing. So they're one and one so far. Um, 
Bills at home. I still think it's a loss. Um, Bengals at, at, at Cincinnati. Bengals week four. I have them losing. Um, so, you know, now we're, you know, losing. Um, then we have the Jets at New York. Um, I have them losing that. But it could go either way with that. And the only reason why I have them losing is because I don't think that the Jets lose at home to the Dolphins. Um, I think that we've always played the Dolphins relatively decently tough at home. Um, I think that our roster is much improved. I think, obviously, Sauce Gardner is going to have his uh, time cut out, you know, trying to defend uh, Tyreek Hill. But ultimately, like, that's what you're expected to do as the number fourth overall pick, and that's what we're hoping he can do is lock down on Tyreek. Um, <clears throat> so I have them losing to the Jets week five at home or at New York. Um, you know, that's a big game as well. Um, but then this is where it gets really nice for the Dolphins because they have the Vikings at week six at home uh, in Miami. I have them winning the Vikings. Uh, the Steelers, week seven in Miami, I have them winning that as well. And then they go to Detroit, and I have them winning uh, against the Lions. They go to Chicago. I have them winning in Chicago. And then they uh, get Cleveland at home. I'm expecting for Deshaun Watson to be suspended. Um, so I don't think that he's going to be playing week 10 uh, next year. But I still think that even with – a Baker Mayfield or a Jacoby Brissett led Browns that the Dolphins have enough talent offensive wise and defensive wise to go ahead and take that game. Um, and then you go into week 11, that's your bye. So I had you winning five games right up to your bye. Um, and that's just a nice middle of the pack, um, like middle, middle of the schedule, I should say, um, to get some quick, wins and then go into your bye week and then the first game you're getting out of your bye week in week 12 is the Texans and you're in Miami and the Texans suck so ultimately like that's going to be another win and then it, it starts to get a little uh starts to get a little rough for the Dolphins so you really really have to um take care of that week middle schedule going into your bye because after the Texans then you got the 49ers in San Francisco, and I have them losing that game. The Chargers and I at, at uh, Los Angeles, and I have them losing that game um, because I'm a fucking uh, Justin Herbert stan. Um, I have them losing to the Bills in Buffalo. And then you got the Packers in Miami, which I have them losing as well. You have the Patriots in New England. And I have them going on the road and beating New England um, to get a win to close out the season. But then in week 18, and this game could be either way. I have them losing um, against the Jets in Miami. I can easily see where the Jets lose as well. Um, so I don't know. I think that the key takeaways to take away from the schedule are, like I said, that weak middle schedule going into your bye. Your division games are huge. And I think the Jets games are going to be huge, huge factors. I think the Jets are talented enough to keep the Dolphins. Um, if it's like a win and get in type of situation for the Dolphins in, in regards to the playoffs. Um, like if they finish 11 and seven, you know, 
um, and it's a win and get in type of situation for them. I think that the Jets are good enough to keep them out of the playoffs. I think the Jets have loaded up, um, and I think they've made enough moves roster-wise to compete in the division. I don't think we're like a walkover team anymore. I think last year, the Dolphins this year with Tyree Kill would probably walk all over us. But I think we can play them very, very tough this year. Um, and I think all your division games are going to be tough for every AFC East opponent because you you really are playing for second place because of the Bills. But ultimately, you can still get in the playoffs, just like we said. And, but it's going to be really, really hard to do that because all those last three teams, the Jets, the, the Patriots, and the Dolphins, they're all relatively in that same skill level where any one of them can win on either day. Um, and so those those two Jets games are going to be huge, especially with uh, it being the Dolphins' last game of the year. I really do think that if the Jets can stand strong and win that uh, in Miami, I think it could really uh, affect the Dolphins' season and possibly a playoff seed. Um, but you have to take advantage of that weak middle schedule. Because going into your bye, if you can ride a five-game um, win streak, you who knows? Who knows how good Trey Lance is? Who knows how good uh, – or if Jimmy G is going to be there? Um, you know, so maybe you take out Texans. Maybe you take out the 49ers. I don't know. Maybe you go crazy and you take out the Bills. I don't see you doing it, but you could. Um, the Packers are another team where something like that could happen. But, you know, with the two-time MVP Aaron Rodgers being the quarterback in Green Bay still – um, I don't think I don't think that will happen, um, but ultimately you just never know. Um, but gotta take advantage of that weak middle schedule for sure. Uh, all your division games are huge. Um, Jets games are going to be key games. Um, another question that I have about this team is, can they keep up with the AFC elite? Now you don't have to play a lot of them, but you have to play enough of them, and you have to play one of them twice a year in the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. So are you able to keep up with the Ravens? Are you able to keep up with the Bills? Are you able to keep up with the Bengals? You know, these are, um, you know, the Chargers are uh, on your schedule as well. Um, these are the elite, elite teams in the AFC, playoff contending teams every single year. The Bengals went to the Super Bowl last year. And so these are teams, the Chargers have – one of, one of the best, if not the best, roster in football down here, um, led by a young, swaggy, you know, Herbie fully loaded. So, and then even more so, like, you know, Mac Jones is no slouch. Zach Wilson is no slouch. But, um, yeah, can you keep up with the AFC's elite it, it, with this team, with uh, Tua being the quarterback? That, that I would say that's a big question for the Dolphins right now. Um, and then also, can Tua keep up with uh, Tyreek Hill? Because ultimately, Tyreek has a certain style of play. Um, you know, he's been able to catch bombs from Patrick Mahomes uh, to start out his career. And Tua hasn't necessarily been known for deep bombs, for these deep shots down the field. Um, you know, there's questions about his arm strength and if that's going to affect Tyreek Hill's game in any way. So, yeah, you, when you spend five draft picks on a guy and you paid him to make him the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL, um, 
you you've given up a lot for Tyreek Hill. And I almost want to say if you guys didn't have to give him that contract, I wouldn't feel this way about it. But if Tua messes this up, you have to almost like immediately scrap Tua and find somebody that can throw to Tyreek Hill. Because you've just given up. Like, this is almost a franchise-altering move if it doesn't work out with Tyreek just because of the capital and uh, and assets that you've given up to um, to acquire this player. And if your quarterback doesn't mesh well with him, it's not going to matter anyways. You know, so I would imagine this is going to be a good year to see how that marriage works out. Um, you know, I could just be just – I mean, I'm not a, to a hater or anything like that. I just, I mean, even the Dolphins' own social media team didn't help him out when they posted that video of him throwing that duck. So huh. it's just, it is tough to believe sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think that the Dolphins have a, um, I think they have a very, very talented roster. Um, I think they have a decent schedule. Um, and yeah, I see them going either nine and nine, 11, seven, depending on some of these division games come out and yeah, we'll just see if they can use the talent on their roster. Um, their relatively decent schedule and, um, take it to their advantage and maybe they'll sneak into, um, maybe they'll sneak it to the playoffs this upcoming year. But just to wrap up, um, my dolphins, breakdown i also just want to say just fuck tyree kill though like true just absolutely fuck tyree kill like because you didn't need to go out and say that it was never between the jets and the dolphins like after he came out and was like it was never the jets at all i knew i was going to miami i was like dang dog why you gotta do that to me and then and then he's shitting on Patrick Mahomes like he didn't get him a ring. Like, come on, I mean, just yeah, sh- well, shut your mouth. Well, and not only that, but you know, everyone knows about his legal case. That's all I have to say about that. Right. I, I I'm never, I've never thought he was like a stand-up individual, but um, when he takes shots at the Jets unnecessarily, like, all right, bud, good luck with you. Uh, Sorry, you don't want to catch passes from Patrick Mahomes anymore. Um, Devontae's still a better wide receiver. And, yeah. I don't know. I guess I didn't I didn't need to ether him like that. But just, you know, you know how it would be. So, yeah, that's it on the Dolphins. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Enrique. And, you know, it, it was really fun hearing you break down this Miami Dolphins team. One of those teams that doesn't really get enough credit for how strong that roster is. Um, and I especially love the addition of Mike McDaniel from the 49ers as the head coach. He was somebody that, like, funnily enough, I I guess maybe, I mean, he was available the whole time, but I didn't view him as an available candidate. But I suppose maybe the reason that I didn't view him that way is because the Broncos weren't necessarily looking at him as a candidate. But regardless, he was one of those guys that I personally really liked as a uh, potential head coaching candidate. Um, and, you know, glad to see the, the Dolphins pick him up, um, unfortunately, at the expense of Brian Flores. But, uh, yeah, we'll have to see what he can do there. There's a wealth of talent, especially you talked about that running back room and what they're able to do over uh, in San Francisco. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what he can do with those guys. So, uh, yeah, I mean, 
you know, going through that roster, just a ton of talent. That offensive line, especially with the addition of Teron Armstead, looks a whole lot better uh, than last year. And that defense, especially that cornerback tandem, like you mentioned, looks fantastic with Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. Um, you know, that defensive line, I agree with you. Like, because Christian Wilkins was one of those guys that I think was expected to be a difference maker and has shown some of that, but has not been a standout like you would hope, you know what I mean, thus far in his career. And I really like him as a guy. Uh, but, yeah, just overall that group, I mean, Agba solid, but uh, at this point in his career, not anything really special. Um, and so, you know, that that is definitely one of the weaker points of that roster for sure. And then a linebacker-wise, uh, Jalen Phillips was a target that the Broncos really wanted in last year's draft uh, that, unfortunately, the uh, Dolphins ended up getting. And, uh, yeah, I really like him as well. Um, and I'm really interested to see what he, his career turns out to. Uh, and he was – last year he dropped a little bit in that draft because I, I, I think it was a heart condition um, or something with his heart uh, that uh, he, he had been cleared for and doctors say he's good to play, but just because of the severity of it and the fact that it was with his heart, I guess, made him drop a little bit um, in that draft. So, but yeah, interesting roster all around. Um, and then, you know, that schedule, I did want to notate this because I found it kind of interesting. And we'll talk about the Patriots schedule when we go through those guys. But um, with last year's Patriots schedule, looking at who they faced, you know, when they faced them and uh, what they were able to do, uh, they beat a lot of teams that I didn't expect them to beat. You know, they beat better teams than I, I had expected that they would be, uh, be able to with the roster that they have. But interestingly, they had a similar kind of, um, you know, stretch like these Dolphins do this year, where smack dab in the middle of the season, they had a nice stretch of relatively easy games and they got on a really good streak. And then right at the end of it, that streak, they beat a couple of high-profile teams. They beat the Bills once, um, and then they there was one other team, but they beat a couple high-profile teams that um, on paper look better than they do. Um, so something similar could kind of happen for the Dolphins team, especially when you talk about that bye week at the end too, um, and then you go into the, the rest of that schedule there with that uh, – stretch of the 49ers, Chargers, Bills, Packers, Patriots, and then Jets. So a little bit tougher there, but maybe they can get some momentum going into that. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, again, great breakdown, Enrique. That was fantastic. Uh, yeah, the Dolphins team, really, really interesting, especially with that addition of Mike McDaniels, and I'm excited to see what they can be here. So, yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead, Enrique. Oh, no, I was just going to say thank you. I appreciate it. And, um, yeah, I really do agree. I, I, I do think that, um, like, for me, that's the biggest thing about this Dolphins schedule is <clears throat> that middle stretch there. Because if, if you can take those five games, maybe you beat the 49ers, dude. Maybe you beat the Chargers. Like, right. I'm not saying it's out of the possibility. You know, I think sometimes the Chargers <clears> – um, excuse me. I think sometimes the Chargers drop games when they shouldn't. Um, and I could see him dropping a game to the Dolphins, like especially if I'm wrong about this Tyree Kill thing. And I think Mike McDaniel's is the perfect coach to bring out this creative offensive game plan with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle and Tua yeah. Tungavaloa. So um, 
I could be completely wrong, um, at least in my prediction on what I think the offense is going to look like. Um, and I'm not saying whether I believe him and Tyreek are going to work out, but um, I think that the offense could be very explosive. And you just never know, dude. <laughs> if Tua takes a step forward and he's the real deal, um, which I, I'd like to believe he is, um, you know, it could be could be real scary uh, for some of these other AFC teams. And um, you just never know. So, yeah, I appreciate it. And, yeah, I guess with that being said, um, I mean, as much as I love to hear you do breakdowns, uh, I'm not really looking forward to this one. But I am looking forward to seeing how you um, class up this organization a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I got to do some of the late work for the Patriots, you know. Uh, make the look a little bit better. So. I refuse to do it, though. I did refuse to do it. <laughs> I, I I did refuse to do it. I did I don't, tell Ryan. I don't blame you, dude. I, I mean, even as a Broncos Ryan. fan, I'm like, really? The Patriots? Yeah, I get it. And I guess, like, the Broncos have, like, a pretty pretty storied rivalry with the Patriots as well, um, especially when Peyton was here and you guys were going to AFC Championship games against Tom and uh, Vaughn was just, like, such a difference maker in those and um, even like, yeah, I don't know. I remember like um, the AFC Championship game that was here. I forget which year it was, but uh, Tom Brady was kind of driving there towards the end, and the defense from the Broncos was able to kind of hold him out. And I just remember like the orange jerseys going against Tom's like white Patriots jersey, and like ah, those games were just so exciting. So I do get why you hate them as well. But being their division rival, I just there's no way I could do the breakdown. So I appreciate you taking one for me. The Patriots are the Broncos. Well, I was going to say the Patriots are the Broncos Raiders, but that's not even an apt, uh, like there is no apt, uh, you know, like comparison because we haven't had a team just absolutely dominate the division for as long as Tom Brady unfortunately did with the AFC East. So like, I, I can't even relate in that sense. You know what I mean? Because, like, well, I, 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 I – oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, and I'll tell you after. My bad. I, I, I despise the Raiders, but it's not even in the same ballpark just because of – like, the closest thing is the Chiefs, what the Chiefs are probably going to end up being with Patrick Mahomes. But, like, we're not there yet, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, no, what I was going to say was um, the thing that's unfortunate about being dominated by the Patriots is – they don't even see it as like a, a rivalry. Like uh, yeah. they don't see us the as their rivals. Yeah. Like, man, and, and it is fucked up because they've like openly admitted it, you know, like, and I know that's just how it is. I've talked to enough Patriot fans and I'm like, Oh, I'm a Jets fan. And I'm expecting some sort of like, like, Oh, the Jets, huh? Fuck you, buddy. Like never happens. Dog never fucking happens. They always like big dick me. And they're like, Oh, that's cool. I'm really sorry. Like, oh, that that must be <laughs> tough, huh? Like, and I'm like, dude, stop. Damn. Oh, stop. Don't do this to me. That's awful. Patriots. It is. It is. I swear. All right. Well, thank you for the perfect lead, Enrique. I appreciate you. So with that, uh, we can go ahead and get started on the New England Patriots here. So the general manager technically is Bill Belichick, uh, but – uh, obviously, you know, he's not doing everything on his own. Um, he's leaned on guys in the past, uh, and usually it's the director of player personnel, which currently is Matt Groh. Um, 
And so, you know, technically GM position, he does make a lot of those, uh, like, last say on a lot of different stuff, especially with the roster. Um, but he has some help as well. And then obviously head coach, also Bill Belichick. Um, and, yeah, I mean, kind of enough said. Um, I think, like, there's always that question that people want to talk about with Brady versus Belichick and, like, which one was contributing more. But I think it's pretty clear now, a couple of years removed from Tom Brady going over to Tampa, like, from a, you know, a surface level perspective, you can say, oh, well, Tom Brady won a Super Bowl and Bill Belichick has struggled to get to 500 since Tom Brady left. But it's just not as simple as that, you know what I mean? Uh, because, uh, number one, a quarterback is so influential on the entire team's success as a whole, and so they've been trying to replace that, and it, that doesn't happen overnight. Um, and even Mac Jones is nowhere near the effect that Tom Brady had. But then at the same time, Don, Tom Brady walked into a situation over at the Bucks where they had an established uh, veteran head coach that is well-respected across the league, they had a uh, roster that was already put together and had experience with each other for the most part. Uh, not a, like a whole ton of, or a whole lot of like young guys. It was like proven guys that had been there for a bit. You know what I mean? They were just like itching to get a chance and just needed that quarterback. Um, and so, I mean, I think both of them have proved that they had like, obviously Tom proved that he could go win with a brand new team, a brand new head coach and all that. And then you have Bill Belichick, who over the last couple of years has been rebuilding this Patriots roster a little bit, um, losing some of those big pieces from the Tom Brady era there, um, and putting together a new core here uh, around Mac Jones. And, you know, obviously, like I said, like on the surface level, you can say they've been struggling to reach 500. But uh, from a team building perspective, you can clearly tell that Bill Belichick knows what the hell he's doing. And you can tell that the Patriots are on an upward trajectory. Um, so with that said, let's go ahead and jump into the draft class. Uh, their first pick this year, which did kind of uh, confuse some people, Cole Strange, OG, uh, the rapper there out of Chattanooga. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I mean, kind of a blindsiding uh, pick for a lot of people just because he was expected to be a second or third round pick. Um, he is a talented guard. He's athletic. Um, he plays with some physicality and attitude. Um, and so he's a, a good fit for this Bill Belichick system. And, uh, you know, in the past, the Patriots have done this exact thing and moving back into the uh, end of the round to pick somebody who's maybe a little bit of a reach. But uh, in the past, it's tended to work for him under Bill Belichick. So uh, at this point, I'm willing to uh, expect that until we see otherwise with Cole Strange. So we'll just have to see there. But at uh, round two, number 50, they drafted Tyquan Thornton, a wide receiver out of Baylor. He's an interesting guy, a smaller guy, has a lot of speed, um, and I, I think he'll factor in this year. He did returning as well, and he could be um, like that could be where he contributes year one. And in round three, number eight, uh, number 85, they picked Marcus Jones a cornerback out of Houston, somebody that I like kind of coming into this draft. Uh, a smaller guy, he did some returning work as well in college. He's like 5'8", um, but he is – he's a good corner. He's hes sticky in coverage. He uh, knows how to, you know, use leverage uh, in coverage. He attacks the ball with his hand. 
He gets up high and attacks the ball, even on taller receivers. Um, he's physical, you know, as physical as you could be for a small guy. Um, and you just like to see that effort. And he has some, like, big hits in college, too, as, like, a 5'8", dude, under 200 pounds. And he smacked some guys. Like, you, that's the kind of physicality you need to be successful in the NFL at that size. Um, so, yeah, I'll be interested to see what he can do. Certainly, uh, I expect him to end up taking a slot role at some point uh, with his size. But I think he has the physicality and the speed and the willingness to attack the ball that he could potentially even uh, fill an outside spot. So uh, round four, number 121, they drafted another cornerback with the last name Jones in Jack Jones out of Arizona State. Um, he's a little bit taller. And, yeah, I mean, a solid guy. Uh, you know, I, I expect him to develop as, as well, not nearly as uh, refined as I would say that I think Marcus Jones is. But, um, you know, he's got some chops. And interestingly, he's uh, already had some people kind of point out, like he's been one of those stories in OTAs and everything that people are pointing him out as being uh, better than expected. So we'll just have to see how that develops as we head into training camp here. Um, and then another fourth round pick at 127, my favorite pick of their entire draft, Pierre Strong Jr., a running back out of South Dakota State. Uh, I didn't even think he would make it this far down in the draft, to be completely honest with you. Um, but he is he's a smaller back. He's got a lot of speed. He's got uh, instinct to find the hole. Um, but then he's also a good receiving back as well. I mean, he's good out in space uh, and can dodge some guys and use his agility. Um, he's a really, really interesting player. And I'm surprised he got down in the fourth round, to be quite frank with you. Uh, but a solid place here. Uh, for him with the Patriots, somewhere where they know how to take advantage of both uh, receiving backs and just running backs in general. Um, so, yeah, I think he's going to end up finding a spot here. And then their last fourth-round pick at number 137, uh, Bailey Zappi, a quarterback out of Western Kentucky. Um, and he's he's kind of interesting, but he makes sense within the context of Max and Mac Jones because he's similar in the sense that he's a smart quarterback that is kind of ahead of schedule with a lot of uh, rookie QBs when it comes to like understanding of the game and understanding of schemes and concepts and his processing on the field, um, being able to like identify coverages on the field and things of that nature. Um, but he's not, he doesn't have the high ceiling physically. Um, and so he's, he doesn't uh, necessarily have the chops to be like a superstar, but he could potentially develop into someone that, like, I almost expect Bailey Zappi to be one of those names that uh, kind of like a Jacoby Brissett, uh, you know, where they develop under the Patriots and then end up having careers, you know, elsewhere or even just with the Patriots for a while, I'm sure, with uh, where they don't necessarily start and maybe they sometimes start and are, like, good enough to hold down the job, but they're just, like, a really solid backup quarterback. Because that's what you want in your backup quarterback is for them to be smart, understand the game, and for that matter, be able to help your starting quarterback with that if they need it, and then not be able to lose you a game, which is pretty much exactly what you want from that. So, um, yeah, interesting pick there. Uh, I don't think he's coming for Mac Jones's job, but he fits the archetype for the backup there. So, uh, And then their final pick uh, – oh, no, I'm sorry. They have a couple ones, but their six-round pick, 183 – 
Kevin Harris, a running back out of South Carolina as well. Uh, yeah, an interesting guy, a little bit bigger. Uh, we'll have to see if he makes the roster, to be honest with you. Um, but I did like what I saw on tape from him as well, more physical than you can get from Pierre Strong Jr. Um, and then the other six-round pick at number 200, Sam Roberts, a defensive tackle out of Northwest Missouri State. Uh, one more sixth-round pick, 210 was Chasen Hines, a guard out of LSU. And then their final pick of the entire draft, round seven, number 256, Andrew Stuber, an offensive tackle out of Michigan. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, a solid draft for the Patriots, a few players that I think could contribute pretty quickly, and then a few players that I think will be developmental pieces but will likely end up sticking on this roster um, if they are as advertised. And, uh, yeah. So moving on to their key departures here. Uh, the first one, Shaq Mason, uh, who we just talked about, uh, you know, not that long ago in the breakdowns, uh, an offensive guard for them and played 86.5% of the snaps for them last year. Uh, so a big loss there. Kyle Van Noy and JC Jackson, a linebacker and a cornerbacker, or cornerback, uh, moved over to the uh, LA Chargers together. Uh, and they played 75% and 87% of the snaps last year, respectively, for the Patriots. So big losses there. J.C. Jackson is one of those interesting ones because, like, with Kyle Van Noy, you understand, right? He's getting older. He's getting slower. He's still a good linebacker, but he's also kind of expensive. And so it's one of those players where with some of the talent that they have developing, they didn't necessarily need to keep him around, give some some extra cap space. J.C. Jackson... Yes, it gives you extra cap space because he was going to command one of the highest uh, cornerback contracts in the league. But uh, I, if I was the Patriots, I don't see why you would give him up. I, when they moved off of Stephon Gilmore, I thought that they did that because of J.C. Jackson. I thought they did that because they planned to pay J.C. Jackson long-term, and so they didn't want to pay uh, Stephon so Gilmore. And so... I was kind of taken aback when they ended up letting him go because I was like, well, then why did you even let go of Stephon Gilmore? Like, you let go of two really good cornerbacks and got nothing in return. You just let them walk in free agency. Um, so, I I, yeah, it's I just found that interesting. But um, And then another offensive guard that they lost, Ted Karras, uh, who went over to the uh, Bengals, I believe, uh, and he played 75% of their snaps, a really solid player there. Brandon Bolden, a running back, played 32%. And then Jamie Collins, a linebacker, played 27%. Uh, so, yeah, a couple big ones and then a couple not as big ones uh, leaving the team there. But, yeah, that, that J.C. Jackson one just sticks out of me. And, like, just, like, I, I don't understand it. I, you know, maybe they know something that we don't with J.C. Jackson, but uh, everything according to – what the public has seen as far as what J.C. Jackson has put on tape, uh, he's one of the best cornerbacks in the league. And, you know, I, maybe there was something internal that, like, he just didn't like uh, Belichick's coaching style or, like, he wanted to leave or – I don't know. But, yeah, kind of interesting. Uh, so, with that, uh, we can go ahead and move on to their full roster here. Uh, starting with cornerback, you have Mac Jones, obviously, second-year quarterback. Uh, kind of like the Dolphins, this team is pretty much going to live and buy by Mac and uh, what he is able to do this year. Uh, behind him, Ryan Horrier, the longtime uh, 
you know, backup and uh, solid backup around the league. Uh, it was a, originally an undrafted free agent for the Patriots, so kind of a cool story there. And then your draft pick, Bailey Zappi. Uh, running back, you have Damian Harris, who's been solid. Ramondre Stevenson, who came on last year as a rookie and has also been solid. And then Pierre Strong Jr., uh, your draft pick this year. Uh, behind him, James White, the veteran, uh, good receiving back who is currently injured and recovering. Uh, and then behind him, Ty Montgomery coming over from New Orleans. Behind him, Kevin Harris, the uh, six-round pick there, and then J.J. Taylor. Um, and so, you know, when I was going through that draft, uh, I'm sure there were some people who were like, when I said that uh, Kevin Harris, the running back, was not going to possibly make this roster, they were like, well, why are they going to draft him in the sixth round if he's not going to make the roster? But when you go through this room, you're like, dang, they kind of have a wealth here. Uh, you know, Damian Harris, Andre Stevenson, and Pierre Strong Jr., that's a really solid three-headed uh, room on its own, right? You know, and then you have a couple power runners in there that can uh, go on the inside and then, uh, well, and on the outside too. And Pierre Strong Jr., who, in my opinion, can do all of it um, as long as he can uh, translate his inside game to the NFL with added physicality and everything. We'll have to see on that, but uh, he's a dynamic guy. He can do the passing game. And then, like, on top of those three, which would be solid for most of the teams in the entire league, you still have James White, who's a savvy vet and is proven. And then you have Ty Montgomery, who is another savvy vet who's proven. You know what I mean? And they're even talking about, because of the, the wealth that they have, they're talking about putting Ty Montgomery uh, out as a wide receiver, uh, you know, which – does kind of make sense. Uh, you know, he's really been primarily a receiving back uh, or a, like, returner in his career. And so, yeah, it really makes too much sense because having Ty Montgomery as your fifth running back just sitting on the bench makes no sense with, uh, you know, him being a proven uh, contributor with every spot that he's been at. You know, obviously not like a super solid guy, and I mean, kind of the same thing for James White. He's not been like a star or anything, but both of those guys have been have had their own production. So, at wide receiver, Devontae Parker uh, coming over from Miami. And yeah, I mean, we talked about this when it happened. Uh, I really like this move. Uh, obviously, Paul immediately becomes the Patriots wide receiver one. Uh, and we'll have to see how he, uh, you know, builds that chemistry with Mac Jones there. Uh, behind him, Jacoby Myers. And then Kendrick Bourne, uh, Nelson Aguilar, and then your rookie, Tyquan Thornton, and then Nikhil Harry, and Will Jordan Humphrey, who also came over from New Orleans. And then to round out that room, you have the uh, old vet, the special teams king, Matthew Slater. Gotta love him. Matthew Slater, I will say, he, I, I dislike the Patriots, and I've disliked the Patriots for a long time, as we've talked about. However, Matthew Slater is just one of those all-around good-ass dudes who you got to love. But then on top of that, as a player, like how do you how do you not love a dude that comes in, scrapes to find a place in the league, you know, embraces special teams, but then embraces it so much that he becomes like their star of their special teams for two decades. Well, not two decades, but like, a good chunk of this two-decade run that the Patriots have have had, uh, Matthew Slater has been a, 
you know, a constant in, on that Patriots team. Um, and so a lot of respect for him. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I expect him to make the roster. He, he's been kind of um, like expected to retire for the last couple of years and not even necessarily because he's like not effective anymore because he's still doing his job correctly, um, doing it well. But like he just is, uh, I think he's like 36. Like he's getting up there in age, especially as a wide receiver um, by technicality at least. But, you know, uh, comes back at least for another year. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, to backtrack a little bit in that wide receiver room, uh, I'm not sure. Like, you have to think at least one of these guys gets cut, right? And so if it's not Matthew Slater, you're looking at Nikhil Harry or Lil Jordan Humphrey. Maybe Tyquan Thornton, but I don't think that you cut what was a second-round pick. I don't think you cut a second-round pick. So you're really looking at you brought Lil Jordan Humphrey over from New Orleans. Nikhil Harry has not lived up to the expectations. I think that that's kind of the odd man out as I'm looking at this room. Um, maybe you can make an argument for Nelson Aguilar. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But I think at least one of these guys ends up going on the 53. Uh, so we'll just have to see what happens there. But a solid room. Uh, I really don't think that they have like – even Devontae Parker, even though he's a, a number one wide receiver, in my opinion, I think he's like a mid to low tier number one wide receiver. I don't think that's like unfair to say. Um, so I, no. I don't view this room as like a strength of theirs, but it's not a weakness either. Like they have some solid bodies in there. Um, and they won 10 games last year with almost the same bodies and with Mac Jones throwing to them. So, um, yeah, good enough. Uh, at tight end, they have Hunter Henry and Jonathan Smith, who they brought in uh, from free agency last year, uh, just waiting for them to uh, kind of catch up to speed. Hunter Henry obviously dealing with injury, uh, as he has unfortunately done a lot throughout his career. Uh, behind them, Devin Asiasi and then Dalton Keene. Asiasi is still one of those guys that you think, like, maybe he can develop into a little something. Right now he's just a depth piece. Uh, and then moving on to the offensive line, at left tackle, you have Isaiah Wynn, uh, Justin Heron, and then Yadni Kajuste. Kajuste? I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce that. But, uh, yeah, Isaiah Wynn, the first-round pick from, uh, if it wasn't last year, I think it was 2020. And he's been solid so far. Um, there's been kind of – he's one of those players that has, like, the non-story about him not showing up to the optional, uh, like – camps and stuff throughout the offseason and then all the local reporters are like oh my god he's holding out but he's he showed up to mandatory mandatory mini camps as was expected um so it's a non-story he's good and then justin Heron behind uh, him at the uh second spot there uh people seem to expect him to be uh swing this year um and somebody who's coming at certain times with injury to the offensive line on uh, been solid. So at left guard, uh, right now you look for the rookie Cole Strange to be your starter. Uh, and then behind him, an interesting player, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, but I'm going to try, Drew Descharlais. Descharlais, it's one of the two, maybe. Um, he came over from Canada, and he was in the CFL, and he was a Western All-Star over in the CFL. So uh, a little bit interesting there. We'll have to see if he can uh, turn into anything for them. And 
I mean, I would have to think, even though they drafted Cole Strange in the first round, that if that guy can, if Drew can come on and, uh, you know, be solid in, in camp and be better than Cole Strange as a rookie, uh, I don't see why you wouldn't give him that left guard job. So even though Cole Strange is expected to be the starter there, um, we'll just have to see how that ends up playing out. Uh, behind them, uh, maybe the most English name I've ever heard in my entire life in Arlington Hambright. Uh, so yeah, interesting depth there. And at center, David Andrews, solid center there. Uh, James Ferentz behind him, Daryl Williams, and then Cody Lucy is an undrafted free agent to round that room out. At right guard, you have Mike Onwenu, Will Sherman, and then Chase M. Hines, who's your sixth round uh, pick at 210. Uh, and so at your right tackle spot, you have Trent Brown, the veteran, uh, and then Yasir Durant behind him and Andrew Durant behind him. Uh, you picked up the seventh round. 256 spot or i'm sorry andrew stewart i just repeated the last name so yeah i mean when you look at that offensive line um i think that you talked about those departures in uh ted karras and uh finding here shaq maris or shaq mason sorry um and both of those guys were solid for them in the, uh, their guard spots and now you're relying on either the rookie cole strange or maybe uh the canadian drew Destarlai um, at your left guard spot, and then at right guard, Mike Onwenu. Uh, similarly to Justin Perone on this line, has come in in place, uh, you know, when people have been injured and has been solid, uh, but not necessarily proven as a starter. And so you're relying on those guys. But when it comes to left tackle, center, and right tackle, I think you're pretty much taken care of. Uh, so that does it for the offense there. Um, I guess some quick overall thoughts, uh, you know, like I said, on the offensive line, I, I think other than those guard spots, you're pretty solid. You've got some pretty proven players there. Um, so you do expect that line to be solid enough. Hopefully Isaiah Wynn can take another step here this year and become even better. Uh, and then, you know, Mac Jones, uh, like I said, and Mike Enrique said with the Dolphins and Tua, um, this team is going to live and die by Mac Jones and just how good he can be in his second year. And if he even potentially, uh, you know, has a sophomore slump. And then you look at those uh, skill positions with the running back room, the wide receiver room, and the tight end room. And, you know, on paper, they're pretty well filled out. Like we talked about the wide receiver room, not necessarily a strength in terms of like top tier talent, uh, but they've got some really solid bodies in there and quite a few solid bodies in there. And then a running back, I guess kind of the same thing is not necessarily like a, a full blown star, um, but some really solid guys that have put up some production and then some young guys as well that are uh, looking to get even better. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, and then tight end, obviously, Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, both guys, they brought in free agency for big money. Um, and you hope that they can produce given the amount of money that you are paying them. Uh, that hasn't necessarily been the case thus far, uh, but they've also been dealing with some stuff. Uh, and it's only been the first year, so uh, time will tell with that. Uh, so with that, let's move on to the defense and we can start from the safeties and move down. Uh, at free safety, you're looking at Devin McCourty, the long-term veteran there. Uh, behind him, Adrian Phillips and then Cody Davis. A strong safety, you have Kyle Duggar and then Jabril, Prepper, uh, Jabril Peppers rather came over uh, from the New York Giants uh, at the offseason this year. And Joshua Bledsoe and then in the cornerback room, 
You have Malcolm Butler comes over from Arizona. Um, well, interestingly, so Malcolm Butler actually officially retired in August of 2021 and then came back with the Patriots uh, this offseason. Uh, he went over to, like, from the Patriots initially to the Titans, was there for about maybe three or four years, uh, and went over to Arizona and then got into training camp and was like, hmm, I think I'm done. <laughs> and he was just tired. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think he was dealing with, like, some personal stuff. So glad to see him back on the field. Um, and cool to see him back with the Patriots. Kind of a cool story. Uh, you know, you think about the Super Bowl when he intercepted the new Broncos quarterback, Russell Wilson, uh, to win the game there. And they should have just handed off to Marshawn Lynch. Uh, so a cool story for Patriots fan, their fans to have him back. Um, but at the same time, when you look at this room, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about having Malcolm Butler as your number one cornerback. Uh, behind him, you're looking at Jalen Mills, uh, comes over from the Eagles, not last or not this year, but last year, I think it was. And uh, he's solid, but not great. Uh, Terrace Mitchell comes over from Houston, again, solid, not great. Jonathan Jones, a vet, uh, has bounced around quite a bit. And then your rookies in Marcus Jones out of Houston and then Jack Jones out of Arizona State, both guys that I like. Uh, but as we talked about on the show before, cornerbacks don't necessarily produce immediately. Um, they do sometimes have some growing pains and uh, just take a little bit to uh, develop. So we'll just have to see how quickly that they can produce. Uh, with that said, uh, behind those guys, you also have Justin Bethel, Jawan Williams, and then Sean Wade. And at your, so the Patriots run a four-three defense. So they have four defensive linemen, uh, two tackles and then two ends and then three uh, off-ball linebackers. So at your weak linebacker spot is expected to be Matthew Judon, uh, who can do both pass rushing uh, over at that end spot, but then also come up and do off-back uh, or off-ball uh, linebacker work. Behind him, Anthony Jennings. And then at your middle linebacker spot, expected to be Juwan Bentley. Uh, behind him, they brought in Mac Wilson over from Cleveland, a solid option. And then behind him, Raekwon McMillan, who's uh, another guy who's been uh, getting a lot of talk in camp and uh, is performing better than expected. Uh, and he he was uh, actually interesting because he uh, – I don't know if he was a rookie coming into last year, but last year it was kind of the same story where there was a lot of talk in uh, training camp that he was doing really well. And then he got a season-ending injury in training camp and missed the entire year, unfortunately. So – uh, we'll have to see what he can do this year. And I think with Jawan Bentley and Mac Wilson leading the way at that inside uh, linebacker spot, I think there's a uh, space for him to, you know, come and steal that role if he wants to. Uh, so behind him, uh, Harvey Longy, and then you move over to your strong linebacker, uh, looking at Josh Uchi and then Ronnie Perkins and Demarcus Mitchell. Uh, so solid linebacker there. Um, I would say not, you know, necessarily one of the best in the league, but Judon certainly one of the best in the league on his own, um, and the other guys solid enough. And then when you look at that defensive line and the specific defensive ends, you have uh, Diatrich Wise Jr. and then Lawrence Guy behind them, Henry Anderson, Sam Roberts, and then Brian Ray. 
obviously your first two options that is Starbiz and uh, Wise Jr. and then Lawrence Guy. Uh, you know, apart from the fact that their defensive ends say Wise Guy when you look at their jerseys, which is pretty funny, uh, they're both solid. And then when you look at their defensive line, you have Christian Barmore and then Devon Godshaw, who is their starters. Behind them, Carl Davis and then Daniel Ukwale, who was suspended for two games, uh, and the reason is not public. Uh, so missing a depth piece there to begin the season. Behind them, the actor Bill Murray and then Byron Cowart. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you look at that – I mean, just the whole defense – you look at that defensive line, first of all, these uh, solid options, kind of like the, the Patriot or the uh, Dolphins, where I don't necessarily see a whole lot of difference makers. An overall solid defensive line. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, like you talked about, a solid linebacking core as well. Uh, you know, not amazing other than Judon there, uh, but going to get the job done. Uh, and then a solid enough, you know, defensive back room. Devin McCourty, obviously, in the latter end of his career, but has been solid this entire time. Uh, and then Kyle Duggar, a younger guy that's upcoming. Jabril, Prepper, uh, Jabril Peppers, maybe you see uh, Duggar and Peppers become the new duo, potentially. Uh, we'll have to see how that ends up. Um, and then, yeah, solid enough in that cornerback room, uh, but again, not amazing. So, uh, finally, we can take a look at their specialists real quick. So, my kicker, Nick Folk, and then behind him, Tristan Viscano. Uh, Folk's been there for a few years. We'll have to see if Viscano is a threat there or if he's just a camp body. Uh, at punter, they have Jake Bailey, also been there for a good few years now. And then at re uh, returner, they don't have anybody ironed out yet, but it could be Jacoby Myers, who's done it before. Marcus Jones, the rookie out of Houston, who we talked about, has done it before. Tyquan Thornton, the other rookie wide receiver who's done it before in college, and then Ty Montgomery, uh, the running back who has done it before on multiple different teams. Uh, so, you know, not short of receiving uh, or returning threats, rather, for the Patriots. So with that, we can go ahead and go into the four biggest storylines going into the season. Uh, number one for me, like we said, this team is going to live and die on Mac Jones. And so you're going into his second year, and the question is, is he going to progress or is he going to regress and have a sophomore slump? Um, I think a lot of people are convinced that he's the type of quarterback that has a low ceiling um, and might experience a sophomore slump when he uh, gets figured out a little bit by these defenses um, and isn't necessarily having that extra gear to get over the top. Um, so... You know, I mean, I don't know how much I believe that. We're just going to have to see how it plays out. I think it's too early in, into his career to uh, necessarily say where his ceiling is. I understand the theory in terms of the um, archetype when you look at those guys who have less of the physical traits and more of the mental traits. And so it lends, early, or lends to uh, early success, but not necessarily long-term prolonged success uh, in stardom. So we'll just have to see. So our second storyline here, uh, Josh McDaniels departs for Las Vegas, and we're going to learn just how much his absence is going to be felt over there in New England. Uh, you know, Patriots don't plan to change their scheme, but they're obviously going to have a different play color this year. Um, you know, somebody different working with Mac Jones. Uh, do we think it's necessarily going to be like a huge issue? 
I don't necessarily think so, but I mean, Bill Belichick is a defensive focused head coach. Um, and so he really has let Josh McDaniels kind of take the reins over that for a long while now. Um, and so we'll have to see, uh, you know, just how much, like I said, his absence will end up being felt there uh, and whether that will uh, be something that brings down this uh, offense coming into this year. And the third storyline here, uh, the cornerback room has savvy vets in it, but young guys will need some time to develop. Could be an early weak spot on this team. So, yeah, I mean, like we talked about, you know, you're looking at that cornerback room and your best guy, your number one is going to be Malcolm Butler, who's getting up there in age, coming off a year off. Uh, you know, then behind him, Jalen Mills, who has been around for a few years, won a Super Bowl with the Eagles, uh, but was never a uh, number one quarterback or cornerback and was never, you know, that guy. Uh, Terrence Mitchell coming over from Houston and then Jonathan Jones. And really the upside of this room, you're looking more at Marcus Jones and Jack Jones, who you drafted, um, and they're going to take some time to develop. So we'll just have to see uh, in a very wide receiver and quarterback talented AFC just how much that uh, cornerback room will end up affecting that defense there uh, with J.C. Jackson uh, you know, leading to the Chargers there. And then our fourth and final storyline, uh, two new starters at guard. Cole Strange is expected to start as a rookie and Mike Mwenu getting his first opportunity to be a number one on the depth chart uh, after being a depth beast with starting experience in the last couple of years. You know, we talked about this as well as we've been through that offensive line. And I do think that that could be something that affects them. The saving grace, I think, is when you talk about guards, you, of any positions on the offensive line, I think you're best off having quotations weakness or concern or questions about the guards as opposed to your center or your tackles. And the Patriots have a strong center in David Andrews and then two solid enough tackles in Isaiah Wing and Trent Brown. Um, and so at least those guards who you're relying on with not a lot of experience are going to be sandwiched between uh, good players with experience. And so I feel like, um, you know, that's an optimal situation if you're going to have some questions on your offensive line, uh, because that can kind of be covered up a little bit more, especially when it comes to like the pass game. I think where you're going to see uh, like lesser guard play uh, and potential issues depending on how good these guys can be in those guard spots is the running game and the inside running game. And that's where they're going to be the most important. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we'll just have to see how much that affects them as well. Uh, so with that, I'm going to go ahead and move into the Patriots schedule. Uh, their 2021 record was 10 and seven. Uh, in my opinion, honestly, looking at this roster or what it was last year, uh, and then looking at their schedule from last year, what games they won and all that. You know, I talked about that middle stretch that they had where they put on a big win streak and then beat a couple really good teams at the end of it there. Um, you know, I think they kind of overperformed, to be honest with you. I really do. I think that they had a, a good season last year. Um, but this roster, especially with the departures that they had, uh, is not as strong, in my opinion, as I am the 10 and seven uh, record would necessarily lead you to believe. Um, so with that, let's go ahead and go through their 2022 record. Week one, you're going to be at Miami, as Enrique talked about. Um, you know, this is one I actually went back and forth on because 
I think the Patriots are capable of winning that game. But when you look at the additions that Miami made and then the new head coach, I think they're in a spot right now where their uh, arrow is firmly pointing up as long as Tua can keep it that way. Um, And, you know, at home with the Miami Dolphins, they have all this hope for this new season. Um, I think that uh, Miami does defend home uh, for a weak point there. So I have that as an L for the Patriots ultimately. But I think that that is one of those. uh, If you're going to swing, in my opinion, if you're going to swing any of the division games in your favor for the Patriots, I think it's the Dolphins, to be completely honest with you. Um, And so week two, they are at Pittsburgh to face the Steelers. I have that as a win. Week three versus the Baltimore Ravens at home. I have that as an L, uh, but that is a big game for them. And then week four, they are at Green Bay to face the Packers. That's an L. Week five versus the Detroit Lions. I have that as a win. Week six, you're going to be at Cleveland. Um, And I have that as a win because unless it's a less than six-week expansion uh, or uh, expansion, suspension, that's a word, uh, for Deshaun Watson, then I do expect him to not be there for that week six matchup. Um, and so, you know, likely if you're starting Jacoby Brissett, because uh, I, I just I, – I do not see Baker Mayfield. Even if he's not traded and he makes it to the roster, I don't see him playing another Brown, or another down for the Cleveland Browns. Um, so if you're talking Jacoby Brissett, I think that that's an easy win. Um, well, not easy win because they have a really good roster still, but I think that uh, the Patriots are good enough to beat the Browns with – a quarterback like Jacoby Brissett. Week seven versus the Chicago Bears, have that as a win. Week eight at New York Jets, uh, have this one as an L. Um, I do think that the Jets defend home there week seven. And then week nine uh, versus the Indianapolis Colts, I have that as a loss. Colts are just too strong this year, in my opinion, or look to be at least. Uh, Week 10, they have a bye week. And then week 11, back to – or back home and then facing the New York Jets for the second time. And then I do have them splitting the series and uh, taking their home matchup. And week 12, they're going to be at Minnesota Vikings. This is a Thursday game coming off that division rival Jets game at home there. Uh, You know, I I do have this as a win. I think they're a better team than the Vikings, Uh, but I think it could go either way, especially with the short week. Uh, And then week 13, you know, versus the Buffalo Bills, that's another Thursday game, weirdly enough. So they're right after another. So you don't have the uh, short week there. You have a full seven days to prepare uh, coming from last Thursday. But I do view them as uh, getting swept by the Bills, so I have that as a loss. And then week 14 at Arizona uh, to face the Cardinals. I have that as a loss. Um, I think it's going to depend. I think you have uh, D-Hop back by then right, as the Cardinals. So you're back to full strength with your wide receiver room, um, assuming that they can establish themselves as a good team again, like, and that, yes, last year wasn't, uh, you know, a good string of luck for them to look as good as they did, um, then I do expect that to be a good matchup. Uh, You know, you have stuff going on with Kyler, but I, I do think he's a good quarterback, so. Yeah, I think I expect that to be a good matchup, and I do have the Patriots winning or losing that rather, uh, but I do think it's possible for them to win it. Uh, week 15, you are at Las Vegas to face the Raiders and Josh McDaniels. 
Um, I do have that as a loss. Uh, the Raiders are a better team. They have a better quarterback. Uh, you know, we're going to have to see how Josh McDaniels is as a head coach in his second uh, tenure there with the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, but, you know, they have a solid team. They really do. Their defense isn't amazing, the Raiders, um, but their offense is looking quite tasty. Um, so we're going to have to see there. But, yeah, I, I view that as a loss. And then week 16 versus the Cincinnati Bengals, I have that as a loss as well. Week 17 versus Miami at home, I have that as a win. And then to finish off your season, you head over to Buffalo and get swept by the Bills. So with that, uh, you know, you talk about that 2021 record as 10 and 7. I, I, I'm positive on the Patriots as a whole, and I think they're trending in an upward direction. And I'm not one of the people that's super harsh on uh, Mac Jones. I think that he could be solid. I don't know what his ceiling is, but I don't think he's going to necessarily – like a lot of people are literally thinking he's going to flame out or just straight up not be uh, good enough to be a starting quarterback. And I, I don't think that that's necessarily true, um, but I don't know how strong he's going to come out in the second year. Um, and I do think it's possible he could face a sophomore slump, and that doesn't necessarily determine the – entire trajectory of a career so depending on what happens there um you know the outlook of the season could change considerably but as we just went through that schedule right now i have them uh, uh taking seven games so a seven to ten uh record there for 2022 um, if mac jones can take a big step forward and start leading the team to victories instead of being led by the team uh you know the baltimore game the Cleveland Browns game, if, say, you had uh, Deshaun Watson, the Indianapolis game, the Arizona game, the Las Vegas game, and then the Buffalo games become a lot more tangible and a lot more easy to say, okay, that's a competitive game. Um, as it is looking at Mac Jones as he was in year one and the potential of a sophomore slump, uh, if he comes out as he was in year one or worse, um, I really do expect it to be closer to seven to 10, but if you can take a big step forward and you take a few of those harder games uh, that do technically on paper have better rosters overall than the Patriots. Uh, if you can steal a few of those, like you did last year, uh, I do think you're closer to nine and eight or even 10 and seven. again. Uh, so to run through a few thoughts on the schedule here, and then I'll toss it over to you, Enrique, uh, you know, number one, this uh, schedule here is tougher than last year by a considerable margin. Uh, plus, you talked about the Jets and the Dolphins coming in with improved team or improved teams from last year within the division. Uh, and looking to really push for that second spot. It's it's a tough schedule. It really is. Um, and then the second half of the schedule is pretty much unrelenting. Uh, the easiest game in that entire stretch will likely be Minnesota in Week Twelve. So. You're looking at, you know, from week eight, let's say, you're coming off week seven versus the Chicago Bears, right? Week eight, you go over to New York, face the division rival Jets uh, with, you know, some new pieces added. Zach Wilson looking better. Uh, you know, that Robert Sala uh, kind of entrenching himself in the head coaching job, you know. And then you face the Indianapolis Colts. You get your bye week. You face the Jets again at home that Minnesota Vikings game, which looks like the easiest one here, to be honest with you. And then 
week 13 versus the Buffalo Bills at home on a Thursday game as well. Uh, then Arizona, then Las Vegas, then Cincinnati, then Miami at home, and then you finish off with Buffalo. Like, it's just good game after good game after good game after good game. But that's going to be real tough. And kind of the opposite of their uh, schedule last year when they had that stretch to kind of, you know, get them going and get a, a nice run streak. There's just no stretch here for them to kind of get that momentum going. You know, even in the first half, you have easier games, but you have hard games kind of supplanted between them. So you're talking Miami Dolphins uh, away game to start it. And then you go to Pittsburgh, like, okay. And then Baltimore, that's a harder game, but maybe. And then you have the Packers coming off of the NC, uh, NFC Championship for the second year in the row. And then you have Detroit Lions. You're like, okay, we'll breather there. You know, Cleveland Browns, okay. And then Chicago Bears. And I mean, you talk about Cleveland Browns as an easy game only because Deshaun Watson is likely not going to be there in week six, but that's the easiest stretch of games you have in your entire schedule right there is Detroit, Cleveland, and Chicago. Like, tank. That's a rough. Uh, right. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that about does it for my thoughts on this Patriots team. You know, I, I think a lot of Patriots fans, you know, Patriots fans listening to this, probably not super happy with me predicting three wins less than what they had last year. And then saying at the same time that I think they're at a positive trajectory, but I mean, you lost some key pieces. It's really going to depend on Mac Jones and just how much he can do. If you want to compete Mac, kind of like we were talking about with uh, Zach Wilson and Tua, when it comes to uh, Josh Allen over there in Buffalo, if you're going to compete in this division, you have to have the type of quarterback that is going to win you games and not just be led by the team around him to win games and, and do good enough. You know what I mean? I think Mac Jones is kind of in that realm. At least he was in his first year. And so that's where that criticism comes in is can he be that guy uh, we're going to see, but, and if he is, then I can see closer to nine, 10 wins if he is closer to what he was last year or he even takes a step back, I think it's closer to seven and 10. So what are you thinking? Okay. Um, yeah, no, I agree to the fullest, dude. I, I think I'm looking at the schedule now and honestly, week eight starting with uh, at, at, at us, at the jets. Um, and then just going down, like you got so, the Colts, you got your bye, and then you got the jets again. Like you said, the Minnesota game, Buffalo, Arizona, Vegas, Cincinnati, Miami, Buffalo, like, and then even, like, even that, the beginning of the schedule is not that easy. Um, yeah. You know, like, so ultimately, yeah, the Patriots have a, honestly, I feel like this is the year that somehow the Patriots win only two games and fucking right. draft Bryce Young. Like second overall next year because okay. I don't I don't know how you give them more than seven wins, you know it, it's truly truly tough for me to see it. Um, and I'm not trying to be like the hater Jets fan that I usually am. It's it's a really tough um, it's a really tough schedule. Um, I mean, you got uh, you got Pittsburgh. That's an easy game. Detroit. 
Cleveland possibly. Um, if Cle- if Cleveland plays Baker, it's going to be a tougher game. Um, you got Chicago possibly, but then like yeah, the rest of it is still rough. So I'm not sure what um what the plan is. Like I'm not sure what your options are really in regards to the um the schedule like if you don't start off like just like you said they don't have any sort of stretch to gain momentum they don't have any stretch to feel good about themselves every game's a hard game week in week out and so yeah they're just really gonna have to fight tooth and nail this season and maybe it's a good year maybe it's not if mac jones doesn't step up i do see them winning like maybe four or five games dude um yeah, I honestly, I could I could see a world where they only win like four to three to three three to four games. I I, I can see that. Yeah, no, it's definitely possible, and especially when you talk about, uh, you know, Tua, you talk about Zach Wilson, some of those guys that could take a step this year, uh, and if they do. If all of a sudden you get swept by the Jets, you know what I mean? That's six wins. If you get swept by Tua, like, you know, you look at some of those games. Obviously, I, I put the Cleveland Browns as a win. Like you said, if uh, Baker ends up playing that, that's a lot tougher game. That's a toss-up in my opinion. Um, you know, if so you lose that, that's another win down the drain. And then if you lose any of those easy games that are sandwiched, like say you come off of uh, – you know, facing the New York Jets at home week 11, and then you have that Minnesota Vikings Thursday game. I have that as a win, but that's a tough one because it's Thursday. Uh, and the Minnesota Vikings, uh, was it last week that we said, like, it's weird because they're that that team that, like, is so mediocre. It's almost hard to predict them because almost every year they have a game where they win it that they totally shouldn't have against a far superior opponent and then they also have a game where they lose against a far inferior opponent you know what i mean they're just such a, a weird team um so you know that's a that's a weird game and if they lose that that's another one that could affect that um uh, and especially if you're lacking in momentum from those harder games so uh, yeah I, I totally agree with you yeah and i agree and i think if i'm being honest with you i think the vikings are like almost a trap game I think that we might be considering them as a weaker team than they are. They still have Justin Jefferson, Delvin Cook's coming back healthy, and, you know, Kirk Cousins is Kirk Cousins, dude. Like, I'm not saying that he's, like, this super special quarterback, but there's times where he randomly throws for, like, four tuds, you know what I mean? So um, Adam Thielen, you know, Harrison Smith, there's still guys on that team that um, are just very good guys, and – you know, I, I do think that the Minnesota Vikings could be um, could be a, a threat, especially to, you know, a Patriots team that is being led by a second-year quarterback, you know. And um, the one thing that I will say about the breakdown is that um, I didn't know that the Patriots had that many draft picks in this year's draft. And yeah. although I may not um, agree with who uh, everyone that they picked – I do think that this was a nice reload season for them. And depending on how you look at it, I saw the last this year and uh, last year 
as the biggest reload seasons for the Jets, just because we had so much high draft capital, so many draft picks, and so much cap space. This could have been the second year of a nice – last year the Patriots got their future franchise quarterback, which is so fucking aggravating that you go from Tom Brady and immediately draft Mac Jones and he's fucking pretty decent. Like, yeah. Could you motherfuckers not just wait a year? Could you not have a quarterback for a year? It's crazy. Like, yeah, could yeah, you guys have fucking Cam Newton in the middle of it too? Like, yeah, well, and then even, even that, I guess that's true, but still, like, former MVP, like, right. Well, and like, and at that point, I'm not even mad that they had Cam, or like, I won't even say that Cam was bad for them, even though Cam was bad for them, because I love Cam Newton. So it's like, you got a quarterback that I actually love, and I I own this man's jersey. So it's right. like, I guess I'll just go fuck myself. Thanks, New England. <laughs> but yeah, ultimately, I I do think that this this New England team can struggle. Ultimately, um, I just I don't know. One, I'm okay with a uh, uh, New England struggling, but yeah, like for the breakdown wise, I mean, it's just it looks really really tough. Um, the bright spot is that I think if you did hit on some of these draft picks, even if half the class is good, you got some contributors, you got some, um, you know, some building blocks to a team that's already, um, has a few building blocks already. So yeah, I don't know. It could just be a year that the Patriots take a, a random top 10 draft pick. And I don't know, like maybe, Maybe Bryce Young's not the pick, but I mean, you know, you got to look at who's going to be at the top of that draft next year. And, you know, maybe they can package their top 10 pick for three first round picks, you know, like some New England trickery. And then all of a sudden, you know, now the Patriots are cooking with fire and they're able to totally revamp their team. So I don't know. I I, I didn't really think about it because I didn't know their schedule was going to be this tough. And so, breaking it down, seeing the roster, seeing the schedule. I don't think they have enough talent to to oppose the schedule. Um, I'm not saying that the Jets have an easy schedule either, but I think we have a little bit more talent than them, and I think our roster is yeah. a little bit more built up. So, yeah, I mean, um, I finally do think that it's it's finally time to get revenge, Ryan. I think it's finally time to get revenge. So I'm excited. Go sweep the Patriots. Go sweep the motherfucking Patriots. So, okay, with that, uh, I suppose that's going to do it for the first part of today's show. Uh, Join us on the Mile High Fight Show, Episode 4, as we preview the upcoming and highly anticipated UFC 276. With that, this has been the Mile High Flight Show, and we'll see you guys next week.